Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Jim Cornette Experience, where today we're going to talk about the week in wrestling. WWE is firing wrestlers, and AEW is hospitalizing them. Which side do you want to be on? And joining me in this, Hawaiian Brian, the podcasting lion, the king of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, Mr. Co-host to you. He's got great luck in his past and future endeavors. The great Brian Last, everybody. Aloha to, aloha to be here. Aloha, Jim. <laughs> Me and you are both having a day today. Aloha, Jim. What a pleasure it is to be here. Another great episode. Certainly going to happen. It's, up, it's uphill from here. <laughs> oh, my God. If we had a studio audience, they'd be rolling in the aisles, ladies and gentlemen. It's a day where <laughs> neither one of us can get the first fucking word out. Oh, um, let's talk for a second about my consternation this morning. When the Monroes showed up and I found out, Brian, guess what's happened? Guess just in general, guess just what's guess, happened? Guess what's, it's, it's the lead story. It's the big news. Guess what's happened in the world today? Uh, one of the Monroes got some local girl pregnant. No, no, that's long since been settled in a court of law and everything's been paid and hushed up. The rock store is out of rocks. If you smell what they're cooking. The plan today, <laughs> oh, I, I see what you did there. The plan today was for the Monroes to go to the rock store and pick up another couple of tons of high-quality, large creek stone for this arrangement that I'm doing, and in, in, as Mama Cornette used to say, in the back 40, under these two big maple trees, under the spreading maple trees, and they were going to, uh, again, they were going to come over here and, and begin applying it. Well, they went to the rock store, and some son of a bitch, some perpetrator, some infiltrator, some instigator, has came right in front of us and bought them out of Creekstone. And they won't have any more Creek maybe until the end of this week. So they showed up over here with no rocks to carry, three of them, not only Alf and Ralph Monroe, their cousin Lupus. Poor fella, he needs work. So he, he grew out of his employment. When he was a kid, he was the dog face boy at the circus, but when he got old enough to shave, it killed his gimmick. And now he's just, he's floating. So they were going to carry the rocks and shit, right? Right. And now there's no rest. So I got them cleaning out the creek, and, and they're blowing various things, hopefully not each other, but the leaves and the weeds away from the some of the fence rows and, and ready to do some more work. One that I, a fence row that I myself cleared this spring, we've gone back there, and these goddamn vines, I don't know what they are, what the, 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 official biological botanological botanical i knew i'd get it if i fucking wandered long enough the botanical name is for these things but in like four months they've grown eight ten feet if you could get a tree to grow as quickly as these vines then you'd have goddamn full-grown forests in 10 years it's amazing i digress so now they're back there but i got no rocks this morning I wanted to buy a couple of tons of rocks. I'm 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 like Jake Roberts. Back in the day, I'm craving a rock. 
know, the rock store is out of rocks, but The Rock and Oprah said if everyone can get together and send the rocks from around their house in, they'll be able to use it to pave their new mansion. They did what now? You were, I'm joking about the Rock and Oprah thing. You know oh, about that. Oh, I know. I knew that. I knew they were tight. I didn't know they. But how would see? It no, seems they, like that would be cost prohibitive <laughs> for people to mail rocks. It seems like that would be. You ought to just send the money. It'd be lighter, and you'd save shipping charges. Well, you saw the thing. It was Oprah and the Rock from Hawaii saying that everyone should send their money in. Meanwhile, they're both billionaires. <laughs> it's like, why don't you just cover everyone's tab and you guys do it? Well, I don't know if they can, either one of them, even though they have all that money, can write a check. I think that probably if you get their audience of 25 million people to each send $20 or whatever, that might be more than they could just write out of their checking account. I, I, I hope they uh, make significant personal contributions. I'm sure. Maybe Oprah could get everybody in Maui a car. That'd be nice. And Iraq could get them a truck. A house may help too. Well, they don't they don't <laughs> go around giving away houses, but they do give away cars and trucks. Then the people could take the cars and trucks and drive the fuck away from where the goddamn fires were. Well, if things had gone well today, you would have had a truck full of rocks. That's right. Instead instead, no creek till next week. Because here's the thing the rock store won't mail them to me because it's cost prohibitive. So see, that blows the whole argument. Yes, it does. <laughs> well, then, why are you trying to convince me otherwise? I'm not trying to convince you. You were just pretty much trying to talk me into it that the best way to do it was male rocks. The people can, they just heard what, <laughs> what? we talked about. I, I don't know if you heard what we talked about. I certainly <laughs> didn't. I'm just telling you, there's, it's, it's not the way to do it. All right, well, this is Send them show. the money and they can buy the rocks and build the fucking houses to live the mansions to live in. <laughs> now, I'd like to have a couple of, uh, just to acknowledge a couple of people here, a couple more birthday thank yous from last week that you I must, didn't. You must never think of that problem, though. Like, if you start a rock store, if you're in the rock business, like, you never think someone's going to come in with, sorry, we're out of rock. <laughs> we have no more rocks here. <laughs> Seems like they might as well just have gone home for the day, doesn't it? Well, happy birthday. Well, they do They do have mulch. They do have mulch, so they've still got mulch, but we don't can't get the mulch till we get the rock and then put the mulch in between around the, you know, see what I'm saying. It was my birthday last weekend, and a couple of thank yous didn't make it because I, I picked up the mail late, but I would like to acknowledge a couple of people. Jeremy from Madison, Indiana, sent me a, a fine DVD of the movie Southern Comfort that we have talked about and mentioned here on the program uh, numerous times, but not for a while, though, for the, for the younger listeners. But you remember that movie where the National Guard... Is that one of those pornos? No, goddammit. That was Sunny Comfort. Southern Comfort <laughs> was... Were the, these budding National Guard trainees? Yeah, I same believe movie. Keith, I think that's the Keith movie. Carradine was one of them. Uh, was uh, I quit it now. They take it takes a different turn. We're talking about they go into a swampy mess. Same movie. I think it's the same movie. But then, what happens is 
they go down to Louisiana on training and they've got the, their guns and everything have blanks because they're training and they're in exercises and all this stuff and they run afoul of some Cajuns that apparently uh, don't take kindly to their presence and then somehow somebody's got a real bullet and they shoot one of them and it just all just fucks up from there. And it's a very spooky movie. If you've worked Mid-South Wrestling, you'd appreciate the movie Southern Comfort. But thank you, Jeremy. And Stuart from Northampton, UK. I don't even know if that's the right accent, but sent me a, a, a and Stacy both a box because we loved it when we went over there. Nando's, probably the best food that you can find in England, to be quite honest with you. And it may cross over into an element of the nicest guy in prison there, but Nando's, he sent us a whole box of spices and sauces and marinades of the various flavors that they have at Nando's Chicken. And Stuart, I appreciate And speaking of uh, bottles of marinades and flavors, Brian, where is my favorite pizza place that I talk about all the time? That's that Emo's Pizza Place, right? In St. Emo's Louis? Pizza in St. Louis. And our boy Dan Rhino over there. Where'd he get that name? Elefino. He sent me two bottles of Emo's Pizza Sauce. Or at least that's what it was when it left St. Louis. Oh, no. Because... Glass bottles? Yes, glass, oh. but wrapped in bubble wrap. Wrapped in bubble wrap completely. And then in the box, more bubble wrap put around the bubble wrapped bottles. And by the time that the United States Postal Service took it 250 miles from St. Louis to Louisville, I go to the post office and I've got the, the uh, receipt in my box. You got to come to the desk. Here you go. They bring it out in a one of those mail buckets, right? With the, and they said, it's leaking. I said, what the fuck? It's le it looked like, because it's red pizza sauce. It looked like it was leaking blood. People were looking at me like I'd ordered a human head and a goddamn mail there. And I said, they were supposed to have drained it before they left the laboratory. And... So anyway, Dan, thank you for the thought. But the United States Postal Service put the boots to the Emo's pizza sauce. <clears throat> because they know real pizza comes from the Northeast. Oh, come on. Not St. Louis. Give me a break. Hey, you have never you have never sat down and give the incredible Provel cheese and the mixture of herbs and Parmesan and Romano cheese that they sprinkle atop in the whole nine no, yards. I have not. I try not to sit down in St. Louis. Well, that's because you get your butt whipped every time you go over there. That's why you can't sit down. <laughs> that's ah. why. <laughs> that's why. Nah, nanny boo-boo. <laughs> you say boo-boo, right. not poo-poo. Huh? You say nanny nanny boo-boo, not nanny nanny poo-poo. I just, that's what I just said, nanny nanny boo boo. Other people say poo poo, not boo boo. No, poo poo is a term of endearment. I love you, poo poo. I never heard anyone use that ever in my life as a term of endearment until what? I met you and you talked about Jimmy Hart. Well, goddamn, that's not my fault. 
You're a, <laughs> I didn't been around the world and met people and experienced things. The fuck? What am I supposed You can't lead a sheltered existence all your life, Brian. You got to get out there in the world and have people yes. call you poo-poo. Of course. When I'm in the south of France, that's usually what you hear all the people call each other. Hello, poo-poo. Well, that sounds like a real French type of fucking endearment. Term of endearment. Speaking, I don't know. We, we were we were speaking of meat a minute ago. Let's <laughs> yeah. get back to the meat instead of the because if you want to eat meat that makes you poo poo instead of the baguettes, yes. Instead of the baguette, well, we had the controversy from one of the um, Canadian Adam from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. His trip to Chicago for the the all in or the all out, whichever one they had there. He was actually asked how he wanted his burger cooked by the hotel restaurant, and he was flabbergasted about that, and he didn't know what to say. And he said, like you always do, and he got a medium burger from a hotel restaurant, which is, as we mentioned, probably the most average request from people. I want it right in the middle. Not too done, not too rare, just right, right in the middle. Little pink, just so you can see it. And he was just flabbergasted by this. And they don't even ask him that they're burger Nazis in Canada. They don't even ask you. They just give you what they want you to have. And that's the the the, the perception we got from that, right? That's the perception you got from that. Well, what kind of perception? Burger Nazis. I wouldn't call them burger Nazis. They're just, here, we're going to fry this into a goddamn hockey puck. It'll be so dry, you got to eat it in the rain. Well, they're trying to do it to protect and their people. What what people can need to be protected? How fucking weak and 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 insignificant and flaccid do you have to be to be need to be protected from a little bit of about one ounce of little pinkish hamburger meat in the middle of a juicy succulent burger i'm sure someone in india is thinking i don't understand why these americans come over here and get so sick we eat this stuff all the time the canadian stomach may not be used to that sort of well the canadians meat. need to fucking do some sit-ups work on their fucking <laughs> stomachs then that's not what i we mean got, we're not talking about going to india and eating the fucking raw effluvia from a fucking shuttle straight from the goddamn toilets of a thousand pharaohs we're talking about a goddamn medium burger. But I got another email from oh. these these crackpots up north. <laughs> Don't. These fucking, these, these burger pansies. You see the way he talks about a place he knows he'll never go back to? I'm never going back. Well, not if I can't get a decent burger. <laughs> Fucking if if the if I'm needing to use the burger to fill the holes in in the soles of my shoes, I don't want to go there anyway. But this is from Thomas, and I won't I won't read his last name. And he claims to be from an undisclosed city in Ontario, Canada. He doesn't want this the official government burger police coming down on his ass at home. They'll knock your door down up there. I hear that's every. Well, they'll That's knock every your door city down. in Ontario, an undisclosed city in Ontario. Well, they'll they'll knock your door down up there. The burger police will with a battering ram made out of well done burger patties. <laughs> they so, use the patties themselves to yes, knock your door right down and and confiscate you if you dare to serve a juicy 
tasty burger. But Thomas says, hi, Jim. Hope everyone is doing well. The Canadians, they're so polite. You, uh, you recently read an email from Adam from Edmonton, his trip to Chicago, medium burger. What Adam is saying is correct in Canada. We have stricter guidelines and are more regulated for food safety, especially in the areas of meat and dairy. So they're very official about more regulated. They're not the land of the free and the home of the rare up there. He goes on, um, the info I've included for you is from the Canadian government. Hamburger Patty's info is at the bottom. I've attached a link for your reference as well to the official site of Canada.ca. I guess that's for Canada, Canada. Canada.ca slash services, health publications, food, nutrition, infographic, safe internal temperatures, hitable is what the link was, but the highlights of it or they've got the temperatures for all the meat, poultry, fish, and seafood that you, you're going to cook to exactly how you got to cook it to get it legal up there before you can give it to somebody. And what I'm seeing is basically that they cook their, whether it be chicken, shellfish, pork, and ground meat and mixtures, which includes burgers, sausages, and meatballs, uh, whether it be uh, beef, veal, lamb, pork, any kind of ground stuff, between 165 and 180 degrees up there. And I'd, you got to check it with a digital food thermometer to get it just right. Now, you can get away with the uh, the beef, veal, and the lamb the lowest temperature they allow is medium rare. That's 145. So if you want a steak, anything less than medium rare, fuck you, you're going to jail. What's less than medium rare? Just rare? Rare. That's illegal. That's not on the list here. So if you order a rare steak, apparently a bunch of people dressed up like Mayor McCheese and the Hamburglar are going to come down on you, put you in handcuffs, drag you away from the table. That's if you order one. Nothing prohibits you from cooking one in your own home. Well, I, I, you know the people. They're in your walls, Brian. It sounds, this is government. Who's in the wall? To the me, chef? It sounds like they get, you know, you never know who the Canadians are putting in your walls. We know we've got the fucking internet service providers. They could have the burger police. And mechanically tenderized beef. You have to cook to 145 degrees. I'm not sure what that is. And you got to turn the steak over at least twice during cooking instead of once, one side and then the other side. Who made these rules? The Canadian by God government. But I mean, is there like a culinary expert for the country? It, like, it doesn't you know, here's say our expert it, Emerald. No, it doesn't say what it's going to taste like by the time they get finished with it. It's just this is what they've got to do to it before they can give it to you. So are they known for seasoning their meats? Differently slash better than here I, well, to make he, up for the taste. Okay, how many Canadian seasonings and Canadian barbecue dry rubs uh, do you see on the shelves of your 
your local grocery store. I think I've seen Straight Montreal from Canada. Montreal steak rub. I think Montreal steak rub. Or something. Maybe that's if they have to rub it with something from the streets of Montreal to get it to have some fucking taste after they finish fucking incinerating it into a brick of charcoal. Well, who doesn't love the streets of Montreal? The streets of Philadelphia were more tuneful, but the streets of Montreal have better steak seasoning. Better women. Um, and uh, a bit doesn't you know? Don't be sexist. The men could be better on the streets of Philadelphia also. We don't know. We haven't been to Philadelphia lately. I wasn't being sexist. I wasn't excluding the men. I was focusing on the better looking women in Montreal. Or Philadelphia. No, I'm saying it now. Montreal has better looking oh. women. Well, see, once again, you're then then who? Then where? Then Philadelphia. You're the one who brought Philadelphia well, being, into the conversation. Now you're being sexist against the women of Philadelphia. I saying wasn't, that the you're being ugliest. Ugliest. I'm not being I'm not saying they're ugly. I'm saying Facially disabledest? I'm saying if you blindfolded me and said you can go to Philadelphia or Montreal and have fun with a bunch of women and Suzanne won't know anything about any of this, I'm going to Montreal. Well, I'm telling her. It's not gonna happen. Well, you just made your plans right here on the goddamn air. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't reveal what I would do, but I wouldn't do it to begin with. Oh, so isn't that like OJ Simpson if I did it? No, I'm I, not going to do this, but this is how I, this is exactly what I would do if I could get away with it. So as soon as I figure out a way to get away with it, this is what I'm going to do. It's not like if I did it, it's like I didn't do anything. <laughs> I wasn't even there. <laughs> it was Owen. You know, I got another email. And you know, John fell in Baltimore. Yes. And we've, we've kidded him for years about the un unseemly un, the the un what's the word i'm searching for the unfortunate nature of his name john fell in baltimore ah, he's clumsy you know he fell down and we we used to we didn't realize until we got to know john better that he is the goddamn guy with the worst luck in the world and he wants to thank by the way the cult of cornet and everybody in his in the uh, facebook circle and on twitter where he had the rough patch with his family, both with their house and medical bills, and he has uh, sent word that everybody pitched in and dug him out of that hole, and he appreciates it so much. But nevertheless, we started kidding him about having bad luck before he re we realized that he really does. He fucking got rotten. He, he has been cursed by an old gypsy woman somewhere. Maria Ospenskaya's granddaughter has put the finger on him or whatever. Even a fell who is pure in heart and says his prayers by night can become a wolf when the wolf bane blooms. He, he's always attracting bad things happening to him, right? And the nicest guy that these things could ever happen to. So he has a similar story to the, what we were talking about, the WWE employees, and yeah, we're going to talk about the releases coming up in the program, but the employees got to can first the other day. They were told all to stay home, sit, wait for a Zoom call, work from home. They weren't even allowed to come in in person where anybody would speak to them and shake their hand and say, thank you for whatever the fuck you did, but we don't need you anymore. They just Zoom them, and they never come back to the office. They're done. They're whatever the fuck. I, well, how shitty is that? Nobody gets a cake, an office party. Goodbye, Stella. 
we loved you at reception for 20 years or whatever. The, the, the good old days of America when the workplace was a fun place to go and diddle around with your coworkers. There was none of this. They were told to stay home and get Zoomed, and they got Zoomed all right, right? And do you know what John Bryan has to say about this? He had a similar experience. Oh, who's Zooming who? He says, on January 6, 2020, the candy company I worked for, and I, I'm going to try to pronounce it, Lint Sprungly. Yeah, Lint Chocolate. You know what they are. Yeah, but, but what does Sprungly come from? That sounds like a fungus. I don't want to eat that shit. It sounds like I came from Europe. That's what it sounds like. Is it, well, whatever it stands for, I don't want to put it in my mouth. But anyway, that company told us to jump on a phone call at 10 a.m. I was sitting in my car when, after seven years of employment with them, I was let go. In fact, 300-plus people lost their jobs in roughly eight minutes. We were told to punch out, go home, and we would be paid for the rest of the day. That was it. My career with them was over just a short phone call. Later that week, we were sent papers to sign for our severance and also agree to never try to gain a job with them again. Now, if, if, if they were coming at John, you have completely fucked shit up, and not only are we firing you, but we don't want you to ever work for us again. Don't ever come back here. One person I can see, but they 300 at the same time, they've suddenly realized not only can we not afford and don't need these fucking people, but we never want them to come back. How the fuck does that happen? Maybe they're from Europe. Well, the, 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 the Sprunglies. The Sprunglies. There's the what's dead. The Lints are fine. They're fine. They're good, honest, hardworking people that till the soil. But these sprunglies, they just came and sprung everybody. So anyway, he said, I made phone calls to my coworkers and boss to say goodbye, but there was no cake. He said, but if there was, it would have been a shit cake anyway. I looked Son up a, a little bit about this company, Jim. I'm going to try to pronounce this. Chocolate de Fabrican Lint. And what? Sprungly AG, doing business as lint. Yeah, they sound like they're doing business as dirt. But going, <laughs> what are these? Are these? Are the Germans at it again? Are these people no, German? Is a Swiss chocolatier and confectory company founded in 1845 and known for its chocolate truffles and chocolate bars, among other treats. Or excuse oh. me. Sweets, not treats. Sweets. Sweets and treats. I thought the Swiss were supposed to be neutral. It doesn't seem like they could be full-blown assholes because they're supposed to be neutral if they're of chocolatier and defectionary. It is based in Kilchberg, where its main factory and museum are located. Lint is one of the largest Swiss chocolate manufacturers. Oh, and it says here, and they hate John Fell. They hate him. He'll never work there again. John Fell was banned from the premises in 2023. January 6, 2020. <laughs> Somebody that, you know what? Do they give you chocolate on the way out? Do they at least, like, take a truffle? Get now, out. Here, here's, a, here's the thing now. Somebody out there that knows how to do the Wikipedia business and, and update it the way it needs to be updated sometime. We've seen all that on Twitter before with other people's pages. 
I'm sure John ain't gonna work there again anyway. Update the Lint Sprungly whatever the fuck page to indicate that John Fell was banned from that company on January 6th, 20. John Fell of Baltimore was told never to return and banned from that company on January 6, 2020. And because of that, Jim Cornette banned Lint from being a sponsor on his show. That's right. In I September. Won't even, <laughs> I, I won't even let it in my belly button anymore. We will never buy Lint ever again because of the treatment of John Fell. And I don't care. And they sell it, you know, a sack full of that Lint. Fuck only weighs like fucking 10 ounces for a whole garbage bag full. So they, you know, but. Well, here's something interesting. Under criticism in the Wikipedia page for Lint, in December 2022, Lint was among one of the many dark chocolate bars that have contained either high amounts of lead what? or cadmium <coughs> metals when compared against California's maximum daily allowable dose level, according to Consumer Reports study. Wait a minute. There, wait a minute. Is there an, a maximum daily allowable level of... Lead? Of lead and Cadbury that you can know. What do they call it? Cadbury chocolate. The Lint Excellence Dark Chocolate 70% Cocoa had 48% lead. What? And 112% cadmini- cadmium. I don't even know what the fuck cadmium is. The Lint Excellence Dark Chocolate 85% Cocoa had 166% lead. Jesus. Why aren't we talking about this? Why isn't this the controversy? And we're they're worried in Canada about whether or not they fry their fucking hamburgers well done. That was December 2022. They're, they're, all, they're all eating lead. December 2022. They're trying to get rid of this lead story. What do they think? Oh, if we fire John Fell, it'll distract everyone yep. from the lead uh, and the chocolate. Yep, yep. That's exactly what happened. And he knew too much. He was fixing to, he was fixing to blow the whistle. You know, John Fell... If he's got a horn to toot, he'll toot it. Well, let's reveal it now. I mean, we weren't going to say anything, but now that I mean, he's been banned from the premises, John Fell was the Lint whistleblower. He was going to let everyone know what you guys were up to, and we were in on it, too. He let us know everything. Can you get this cleared by Stephen P. New? I don't know. I really don't know. Well, speaking of people losing their jobs, Brian, and again, we are not... We are not taking pride in this or enjoyment, I should say, in, in someone being unemployed. We are not celebrating this event or trying to drum up any type of back padding for this happening. We are simply stating facts that did we just say in the open of this show two weeks ago that we knew who the next one was that was going to get fired? Matt Riddle? And, and wouldn't you know who won the pony, folks? Wouldn't you know who lost the race to the uh, employment window? They fired Matt Riddle. And is this a surprise that I didn't even, I, we were talking based on the perception of him that probably existed in, in the office because of his outside the ring antics in the wrestling business, but you didn't even know when I, didn't follow him enough to even care that his UFC career, Dana White thought he was pretty much a fucking moron as well. Did he not? And said, I don't want to work or I don't want this guy to work for me anymore. So uh, the timing seems 
probably as bad as as any wrestler has ever picked for him to make a public fucking stew and uh, launch an investigation that gets national publicity right as the company that's already owned ufc is taking over goddamn wwe i mean it does no he he's got great timing you're a publicly traded company the last thing you want is some guy who keeps getting into trouble keeps failing drug tests leaves one porn star for another porn star and then that porn star starts doing interviews about it it's non-stop stuff the jfk incident I wasn't too aware of him. No, no, and, and wait a minute now. For those of you who might not be completely up on Riddle's life, we're not talking about implicating him in the assassination of John F. Kennedy. It was at JFK Airport that he announced that he had been sexually assaulted by, I guess, one of the... Jack Ruby. <laughs> by Jack Ruby, one of the TSA <laughs> employees that was patting him down and trying to plant that fucking rifle on him. Well, apparently, and again, you and I were not very familiar with his MMA career. We knew people thought he had a good look, and then he went into wrestling, was working for, I think, Gabe Sapolsky with Evolve, and that led into NXT. But here's Dana White. This was tweeted out by Patrick the Heel on Twitter, or X, whatever it is now. Dana White talking to, I believe, your very good friend, Chael Sonnen. Let me go to this. The guy fights on prelims. You know, does 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 he does Matt Riddle sell any more tickets? Does he sell any more pay-per-views? The guy's fighting on the prelims, okay? He's fighting his way up to get the opportunity to possibly someday become a big star in the sport. Um, then he comes out and says, "All oh, like we treated him horrible. He's treated so horrible here. You were making one hundred sixty-two thousand dollars a year. He's making something like fifty-two or fifty-four thousand dollars a fight, and you fight three times a year." unless you get injured or something like that happens. We have health insurance here, which has never been done in the history of the world with fight promoters, okay? Now, the reason he's not in the UFC anymore is because he could not pass a drug test. <laughs> the guy couldn't pass a drug test, okay? So he, he couldn't, and think about this. You have to go to work three times a year and you couldn't pass a drug test? You're so weak-minded and so addicted to marijuana that you couldn't stay off it enough to pass a drug test three times a year. Well, guess what, dummy? They drug test in the real world, too. You think you're going to go to work 325 days a year and not get drug tested? Right? He's yeah, going to pass a drug test three times a year, but he's going to pass it in the real world. Right? And I want to know where this rocket scientist is going to go and make $100,000 a year. Right? And also, this is the guy, Matt Riddle, who did an interview and said, I smoke marijuana so I don't beat my wife and children. Oh my. What? Oh my. <laughs> oh God. Yeah, and I want to point out, MMA Junkie, the, 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 the people that did this story took one side of the story and they're writing this big story about a guy who, who said, I smoke marijuana so I don't beat my wife and kids and only got his side of the story. Real journalism, real journalism. Yeah, not surprised by that. That's one thing that we don't see down here at F. All right, well, let's stop it there. You hear oh, Chael Sonnen, but wow. By the way, and 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 I'm going to vouch for Chael there. It's not his fault that Dana White was speaking from inside an oil drum. Um, But God, that boy, that sounds like one of those and signed this paper saying you will never try to work for me again type of speeches. Apparently, Mr. Riddle's gimmick that we have said looks too much like real to be a gimmick is real. He's a complete fucking moron, and everything he does is goddamn ill thought out 
and potentially poorly executed. Yeah, there are people who, no matter what, make bad decisions throughout their life, and there's not much that people can do to stop them from themselves. Well, in this case, um, that Drew McIntyre won't have to put up with it. Remember, they were doing the the odd, reluctant tag team of Matt Riddle and Drew McIntyre. Everybody he's done that with looks like it's so easy to be annoyed by him. Randy Orton. Randy Orton. Remember Owens and, and well, Zane doesn't get annoyed at anything. He's a pacifist. He's but, the annoying one. No, Zane yeah, is the well, annoying one, so he can't outweigh the annoyance of someone else. Well, but when Riddle out-annoyed him, Zane became kind of the, the sane one in the middle there. It was, can't we all just get along? The Rodney King of the piece. But nevertheless, they had to be doing that, the writers, I mean, the creative brain trust, because it's it, they're always ribbing people about real-life shit. They must have been ribbing this guy that everybody thinks you're fucking annoying. And you do stupid things, and they don't want to fucking hear all this shit anymore. So he had no support from the UFC world for his MMA background. And he's just made news for a ridiculous reason, which came down to him being drunk and disorderly, which that's what the, not me, if anybody wants to uh, sue anybody, I refer you to what the official statement from the police department at the fucking JFK airport. We responded to a drunk, disorderly passenger and the new TKO brain trust decided we don't need this dipshit doing shit like this when we're we're at over a hundred dollars a share and meanwhile our only domestic competition of any size whatsoever is firing them or hospitalizing them faster than he can keep them so we don't need this dipshit you know getting us bad publicity and we're gonna be smooth sailing to con the the marks and the rubes out of a fucking fortune. And they're on a roll there doing it. You know, WWE, for good or for bad, they look at everyone as a chance to market someone for a long period of time, make money off their image and their likeness and their IP for a very long time. They can't invest in someone who constantly has problems like this. There's a reason why some of the really talented people in the last 25 years never got to WWE. It's because they're looking for people they can invest in. They may make mistakes, and they often do with the booking and various other things. But if you're WWE, if you're TKO, if you're Endeavor, how can you justify investing any more money in Matt Riddle? You have to believe, just based on track record, there's going to be another embarrassing incident soon. Well, and the WWE can make all the mistakes they want. And then if they realize they made a mistake, they can try to fix it. Or if not, they can move on to the next thing. But you, you as an individual talent, can't make too many mistakes. Because they don't need that. They can make them. Who's going who's gonna to fire the fucking people running the company for making a mistake about talent or booking or whatever? Nobody. But you can't make a bunch of mistakes and get a bunch of fucking negative attention because then they don't they don't need that. But that's, you know, again, that's the, the fucking issue now. And that's been the issue, and that's why AEW was formed, is you better toe the line 
because there's no place else to go but down. Well, you better toe the line in the WWE because there's still no place else to go but down. Anyway, what is the um, the complete list now, Brian, of the sum total of casualties from the talent roster, not the office folks, but the the talent they released the other day? Okay, I believe I have a somewhat complete list. This was, uh, or this is on CBS, on CBSSports.com. You would hope CBS, the Tiffany Network, would be able to be reliable here. Well, ever since Walter's been on assignment, they have slipped in some examples. But here's the thing. We talked about it as it was happening on the program we just, your show, that we recorded here a couple of days ago, but we didn't have the complete list. And also... Let's look at these because I saw somebody on Twitter or X or whatever it is say, well, the people have been saying AEW needed talent. Well, then Vince just fires a bunch of people. Well, he fired a bunch of people and they do need talent. But let's see if the if if both of these things can be true at the same time. Did he really fire any talent that would be usable, applicable, or helpful? at this current time or in the immediate future, especially given their most recent presentation or portrayal. So you're not saying if a talent is good or not, you're basically saying are they valuable at this point to another company like AEW based on where they are at this point in their career and how they've been used? Yeah, I'm saying can they walk right over there whenever their non-compete clause expires and come out on television and do something where people go, oh, wow, so-and-so's here. Or are they of the, and everybody has acknowledged now in a lot of these documentaries lately that a lot of times people go through this, are they in the position where they have been made to look like a fool and they need to go somewhere and figure something else out and change the presentation or whatever they're fucking doing and get that shit together and then it's not that they're not talented people but they have been in so many flop movies that nobody in Hollywood really wants to give them a break right now because nobody's paying to see them. They need to, they need to go away and do a Broadway play or something first or get something else going and try it again with a different outlook on life. Does that make any sense? I think it does. And let's go through this list and see what you think. Let's start with first a man we were just talking about the biggest name, I think on the list currently, Matt Riddle. And of of anybody that I can think of, and as we go down the list, maybe I've glossed over somebody, he's the biggest name to the current wrestling audience. He's been featured for, what, the last two or three years since he's been up there at a fairly high level whenever he's either not had the office-mandated vacation or been hurt or whatever the case. He owns his name. It's his real name. Um, that's his real name. I mean, it's hard to say that he does or doesn't work a certain style. Like, does he work with the Cucamonga kids or would he work with this guy? Because all the shit that he does is weird. So he, he he's a daredevil and he'll jump through shit. So you would think stylistically in that respect and just from the, you know, it, he would fit in the ring over there. The question is, not only will that audience see him as if if he comes over and immediately gets pushed, well, now he's come from the evil empire, and 
he's had accusations against him, and some of them might take that to heart. Or it's a WWE star coming in here trying to, you know, do a CM Punk thing and take over. So, in the ring, yes, but I don't know, what do you think about his his name and personality? And then there's the issue of if the other company doesn't want the publicity and the outside-the-ring things, and they've let him get away with this much up till now, being accused of this or having to go to rehab after flunking that. You know, does does Tony need to take this on? Well, I think in general, it's an image issue, just like it was with Jeff Hardy. You're not getting a wrestling great. You're getting someone WWE discarded. And there's a difference there. Matt Riddle, everyone knows he's been really well pushed. He's been in main events. He's probably main event in pay-per-views. He's had good matches. And WWE said, we can't deal with this anymore. And they cut him loose. We know what Dana White thinks of him already. So that's two of the board members in a TKO. For Tony to bring him in, well, he'll get a big pop wherever he debuts. Everyone does. Everyone does. And then he'll be Matt Riddle without any restraints like you would get in WWE for how you're used on TV. And I don't know if that'll be good. Maybe the matches will be a little different. It'll be a little more um, not WWE style. But is it worth it? So, boy, he'll really have a chance to take somebody's head off. And again, beyond the controversies and the porn stars and the drugs or whatever is going on with them, beyond that, an issue you have in general, and he may be big enough at the moment to get past it if it wasn't for all that, is you don't want to be the place where you get the WWE rejects. That was impact for years. Wrestling purgatory. AEW had a fresh crop of people, for good or for bad, and some veterans. And then the people they've added since then, at least the people who, it seems like, get pushed, are former WWE guys. And I think image-wise, that would concern me. Well, and see, here's another reality check for the AEW faithful who say, oh, this is a revolution and everybody knows what's going on. Going back 40 years ago when Watts used to send out emails with quotes around everybody knows what you're saying or everybody knows who you are, but just in case, fucking tell them. It was 2006, right, when Angle, Kurt Angle went to TNA and or debuted in TNA. And for the next year, year and a half, two years still, it it wasn't, and this wasn't the only time this happened, but there was one specific time when somebody came up in the airport and said, hey, Kurt, he was on TNA TV every week and they were doing rated bigger numbers on Spike than AEW is now. Hey, Kurt, what are you doing since you quit wrestling? Because to still a lot of people, and you can tell not only the difference in the in the television ratings between SmackDown just had almost 3 million for the Rocks quarter and AEW Wednesday night for their mega stadium spectacular had 900 and something thousand. That's just the way it is. And a lot of those people, the, the, the WWE audience, especially they don't watch every week. They're cognizant of it. And if you're there, you're a wrestler, but if you're not there, you must have quit wrestling. So that's, you know, that's part of the thing is 
the names in wrestling are mostly associated with the WWE, but if you get an audience that is hostile to the idea of them coming there to begin with and they're so smart, then it not only hurts you when you bring them in because you get a backlash. Soraya worked out real well. Uh, but also, it kind of penalizes the talent because they're saying, fuck, I'm a big name. I just came off WWE television. But the people hate me because I just came off WWE television. And with AEW, I think it's a little different than other companies because it's, to I think some of the AEW fans, depending on the person, this person's coming off WWE TV and taking the place of someone who wasn't. Yeah. Even though a lot more people know who they are and might, but as we will see here a second, uh, the it's possible. It is very entirely possible that Matt Riddle would bring some element of new viewers that hadn't watched AEW, the, the fans that follow him anywhere, right? Just in numbers of the WWE's reach, you might get tens of thousands. And, oh, mate, let me check this out. Whatever. And uh, the problem New Japan, is, New Japan should sign him just so he can get kicked out of the country for bringing weed in. Oh, my God. They might not let him, let him get kicked out. They might put him in prison over there. Paul McCartney. There you go. They could put him in the same cell with Paul. They could do duets. I'm thinking he'd be good in New Japan. Then I'm like, he can never get in the country. <laughs> that would never work. Um, but so that's the thing is that he has uh, name recognition and hadn't been beaten to powder is still at a main event level. Are these other talents either have they been presented at a level that would make any difference or do they need to get run like their heads are on fire from the way they've been presented and figure something else out? And I think for most of them, they might fall in that category. But there, then there's the thing. Do you do the independence and change your name to an awkward spelling with a number in it of the, your WWE name and capitalize on that at the you know, local fucking high school, or do you try to be your own person and start from scratch? Yeah, and again, the independents also are a changing thing. It's an ever-changing environment, and what are the independents today versus five years ago versus ten years ago? It may not be the road for everyone. Jim, another really interesting name on this list, Dolph Ziggler. And that's, you know, we, we mentioned that uh, on the drive-through, and talent-wise, it's ridiculous because he's so good but he's also been there for 20 years and they if they had kept him as a top level guy and used him part-time then that would still work and you could bring a guy like that back to have a match with anybody but over the last however many years it's been they've beat him and beat him and beat him and not pushed him to the point where now you know, it's it's kind of it's counterproductive to, for him to even be on television, except that he was getting paid. So, one of the best in-ring performers in the world, but they have devalued him. I don't think he goes to. I mean, if he wants to again stay in wrestling, and get a six-figure or better payoff or contract to do it, AEW is the place. But by the same token, he's had a very good job there for a long time. He probably doesn't need to do anything unless he's, you know, supporting some type of large charitable foundation by himself. And again, the difference between someone like him and someone like Matt Riddle is he would have to reinvent himself. WWE owns the rights to the name Dolph Ziggler. 
They may yeah. claim intellectual property for parts of the gimmick. We don't know. He would have to become someone completely brand new. Yeah, and I think that with him, he might as well just sit back. He does stand-up comedy. He, I'm sure he collects stamps in his spare time, whatever the fuck he's doing. He ought to just sit back for a while. Stay. He's always stayed in great shape. And uh, maybe he makes a shot for some friends. Maybe he just dabbles for a while. Or maybe he doesn't do anything and just see what he wants to do, I think, at this point. there's. I would imagine there's no financial need, but I don't know that he's considering he's going to be done in the wrestling business like this. So, you know, I would imagine we'll see anything happen in a hurry. Jim, I believe this may be the oldest name on the list, not that he doesn't look in great shape and still perform well, but Shelton Benjamin. Well, the same thing. He can still not only outwork half the guys on the or more than half on the WWE roster, but a significant portion in AEW that are a lot younger because he's a genetic marvel and a physical freak. And they were using him or attempted to almost use him, remember, a couple years ago, and then they backed off on it. And he's better than the level that he's been presented at. But by the same token, because he's been presented as a an intermittent flunky and beaten in quick fashion and not focused on for so long, his image does, I would think, need some rehab with the fans. Now, he can be Shelton Benjamin because that's his name. And he can do all of his shit because when he was working for us at Ring of Honor, he did all of his shit. And we never had a problem. The question is, you've got to get somebody with a fresh presentation of how Shelton ought to be presented and talked about and maybe put him with a manager because the, the one drawback has been his, his promo ability, which is, it doesn't stink in terms of today's bar, but is not, he's not a, a f- 10 minute orator for today's in ring set pieces. But, you know, accentuate his talents, his athleticism, his experience, and he's real. So, you know, I would love to, again, that's the AEW thing. They just see him as that guy that WWE didn't want. But he's better than almost the entire roster. Jim, on the list, Elias. Can we stop walking now? Can we finally get the... Did we ever find out why that he was his brother? Was that one of those things that when Vince had to take off for a little while that they said, fuck it, just quit? Was there ever any resolution to that? Did it ever make any sense? Did the story ever tie up? Do you read anything into the fact that Elias has been released, but Ezekiel hasn't? No, I don't. I think they just forgot that Ezekiel was in there. No, he even admitted, I think, on a, on a Twitter when he announced his departure that he enjoyed being his brother. So it's the first public admission. But it, it, it we have been watching on and off these programs for several years now, right? Yes. And the only <laughs> and when we yes, <laughs> you are correct, sir. And when we started, it was already a thing where he'd just be sitting in the ring strumming and say, come walk with Elias. But he didn't really walk a lot of places. He was always sitting down playing the guitar. And we saw him have some 
crummy matches and I guess he was gone for a while and he may have been hurt for a while and he came back and he was his goddamn brother, but he didn't admit he was his brother. And that had to be some kind of Vince thing that he had some type of inspiration when he was, I don't know, in the den late at night. I don't know what was going on. I don't think the guy's, he doesn't suck in the ring, but he wasn't outstanding. And this has been a rotten gimmick, but it is, was he anybody anywhere before, or did he come up in the system and he was always Elias? I don't know anything about his career pre WWE developmental. Well, I think he's going to have to change that shit one way or the other. Well, next on the list, another WWE owned name, I believe Mustafa Ali. And I hate to see Muhammad Ali go. Mustafa Ali. Because I loved making you fret and worry and try to correct me on the pronunciation of his name. Um, you know what? He's tailor-made for AEW because he's microscopic and he, you know, flies around and smiles a lot. And he did the promo one time, I remember, where he was just, it was always his childhood dream to be there. So he'd fit in with all friends wrestling, but is he friends with any of them? I think he's actually someone who is ready for like, I think AEW fans would get behind him trying to be something different. Cause he's one of the guys that in the ring, everyone liked, you know, those fans, they really liked him and he's been talented, but you can never take him seriously because of the way he's been pushed, the way he's been used, embarrassed. It seems like at times on TV, new name, either no gimmick or a new gimmick. I think AEW fans would probably really like him. And I think he'll, pro- I, I would think he's AEW material. Well, then we'll find out. Uh, whether he goes over there and conquers the world, becomes a game changer. What about who else? Who else? Emma. Emma. Emily. Prettiest girl I ever seen. Emma. Emily. Okay, enough, please. Wasn't that a hot chocolate uh, deep cut album cut? Well, I don't know. Definitely a deep cut. It's going to be a um, deep cut to your throat if you keep singing. All right. Hey, come on now. Um, I can't remember what Emma looks like. So moving on, moving on. I believe this is her fiance, Riddick Moss. Now, I remember you saying that name earlier and they missed the boat on that because remember when we saw him at one point, he was almost not going to be madcap anymore. And he was actually acting for a couple of weeks or a couple matches or whatever. He, he, he looked great physically. His work looked fantastic when he got a chance to do something away from that happy Corbin bullshit and the madcap gimmick. And of course, the promos were always horrible. But he looks like somebody, he, he's strong as a bull, great physique. As I recall, it could have a good match or could go in the ring from what we were able to see. And they couldn't figure out a way to erase people's memory of Madcap Moss or Mosh Pit Jones or whatever and use that guy some other way. I'm uh, there must be something else going on there. Maybe they found human skeletons in the crawl space of his house. I would doubt that. I think we would hear a different kind of story other than he's just been released if that was the case, but you have to wonder if him and Emma are getting married. Maybe they'll do something together on the indies or somewhere else, but another name on this list, Jim, I don't believe you'd be terribly familiar with her, Aaliyah. 
Uh, I remember, didn't she do a vampire movie at one point? She was a rapper. No, you're thinking of someone, you're thinking of the, uh, the musician who unfortunately passed away at a very young age in a plane crash, Aaliyah the Wrestler, we're talking. Oh, Aaliyah, her name is Aaliyah the Wrestler, like Andre the Giant? No, no, the wrestler, that's... <laughs> no, no, it's not Aaliyah the Wrestler, Aaliyah happens to be a wrestler. Aaliyah happens to be a wrestler? Well, how are you going to get a name like that on the marquee? Sounds like a sitcom. Happens to be a wrestler alone is too long. Well, we'll move on from Aaliyah. Top dollar. <laughs> and what does it say to you they haven't released the other members of hit row at least as we know of this moment well because they've already they're already up on the firing board they got fired before remember and then now hold on which administration fired him and which one brought him back when did they get fired when Vince got let go and then they fired him? Or is that when they brought him back because Vince had already fired him? I think Vince fired him because he didn't understand what the gimmick was. That's when they had Swerve. Nobody else did either. No, but remember, they had Swerve, who was an actual, I mean, they all, I guess, rap in the way. It was an way. actual wrestler. No, he's a rapper. <laughs> he raps. We've heard his, you know, his rap on uh, AEW. Yeah. Or at least someone raps around him. I don't know what the hell's going on, but he was with them. They were all fired. And then Triple H got control. And one of his first moves was, let me bring back Hit Row even though Swerve's gone. And and we found out he was the only one who was worth a shit. He was the hit. They were the role. Yeah. Um, I'm going to miss Flop Dollar's smiling face, going out there looking like who Uncle Phil on Fresh Prince, telling us how bad they are and, and, and thinking that the word bad has the connotation of good, bad. We bad, not we're bad. Imagine if the tag team of Bad Bad Leroy Brown and Big Red had a baby. <laughs> and it would have been top dollar. <laughs> Ray Candy could have been the doctor and give, give, delivered it. Any future in wrestling? No. I mean, you know, I'm not saying that they were, some comic convention wouldn't sign this guy because he was on TV somewhere to sign autographs or whatever, but does any... What uh, AEW would be absolutely ridiculous. And actually, now that I've said that, could that guy be the biggest fucking heel in AEW? If he if if they brought Flop Dollar into AEW and he flattened somebody next week for one of the top belts and got that promo, those people are climbing the ring and try to fucking cut him. If they put him with Swerve, reuniting half of Hit Row. Oh, my God. With the Mogul Associates, Top Dollar. And then in this company where everyone's diving all over the place, he still goes for his dives and misses them every time. <laughs> I'll watch Dynamite every week for that. You know what? We may see now. There you go. The first one that we've said could just walk right over. That's right. Or flop right be a over. Flop right or over. Or flop right over. Fall right over. Yeah, he, can't, he has trouble getting over. Well, speaking of trouble getting over. Rick Boogs. Uh, you know, he looks good physically. Although, as I recall, the, the haircut, is, are they trying to make him look goofy or was that just something he was doing on his own with the hair and the mustache? But he's been the guitar guy and he was a sidekick, wasn't he, for a while and Boogs and they're, they're, he's just crazy and he's screaming a lot and... He got hurt, didn't he? Didn't he? Did he get hurt? Right when they were start to do, right when they were about to really start to do something with him, I think he got hurt. Well, you know, hard to tell. Maybe he'll stick with it if he's 
serious about wrestling and, and athletic and just get completely away from that gimmick and everything about it. If we can take a break for one second, if you're AEW, I don't know who it would be. I mean, everyone contacts different people. If somehow you got to Christopher Daniels or some of the other agents there, like Pat Buck, or somehow you got to even Tony himself or through some of the wrestlers, what are you saying? If you're one of these guys who left WWE and you want to keep going, what is the message you get across and what are you hoping to hear back? Well, if you... If you are a talent who has been let go, but you feel that you are doing the right thing, that you're being yourself, let's say that somebody decided, well, I'm going to fire MJF. Well, that would have been stupid, right? But MJF wouldn't need to change anything. He would need to change the employer he had that didn't see something in him and want to push him. If I'm... And I did this in Smoky Mountain. I did it when I was just part of creative in the WWF. And it, I did it to some extent in WCW, but I wasn't on that long enough. But you would keep track of who's in the business and who you like and who... I always did this, especially for Smoky Mountain Wrestling. But also at some point, you know, it, you had to look for Ring of Honor or some of the other companies. You see talent that you like because of their talent and what you could do with them. Like a movie director seeing a, an actor that's really good, but I've got a part for him in this movie. He'd be perfect, right? If you're a booker, you've unless a talent is just so good, he doesn't need changed. You know, we weren't going to tweak Ric Flair. You didn't want to fuck with Stone Cold once he got that shit together. Like I said, you don't want to mess up MJF. But I would often have a list of talent that if I ever got the chance to do something with them, how I would use them or how I would change it or how I would tweak a different gimmick, different presentation, whatever. And so if, if Tony has been looking at, or any of his people, have been looking at some of those people, they would be the ones reaching out and then you would know that, okay, they're reaching out to me. That means they either like what I've been doing or they got an idea for me. So already that's a little bit better feeling that you've got. Finally, to answer your question that you asked, if I've got to call them because they, they've, they've heard I'm on the market, the divorce went through, I'm single again, but they haven't asked me out for a date and I got to call them, then that must mean, okay, they haven't exactly seen the benefit I could be, then I've got to do some explaining. Hey, I could really do better, but this fucking rotten gimmick, or goddamn, I, I definitely want to change my presentation. I'm open to your ideas. I had these thoughts of how I could be different in your company than how I've been portrayed for the other folks so that it would be a whole new thing. That's it. It depends on who's calling who and why. Well, Jim, next on the list, either Mace or Massey, followed by obviously Mansoor or Mansoir. I was about to say Soiree and, and Mansoor. This is the best thing that could have ever happened to them. 
because now they get to actually have real goddamn human being names and, and a brand new gimmick and get the fuck out of that death trap they were in. And they should immediately run, not walk, to fucking their nearest goddamn wrestling school. And if they want to be a tag team or want to be involved together or whatever, then they should come up with a tag team gimmick and a tag team name and individual names and some shit to do that's different from what they've done. And that's, I would think, their hope in the wrestling business. Or they can sign autographs for a year or two at some fan fests off of this notoriety and take up fucking personal training. I don't know what to tell you. And they had some very interesting comments. We'll either get to them later today or on the drive through in a few days. We'll see how we're doing. But Jim, a few more names here. Dana Brooke. Didn't she is the one who I said had plastic surgery to where her lips resembled a duck billed platypus. I believe that is indeed what you said. I haven't seen her in a long time. Where's she been? NXT. Ah, well, now she's SOL. Well, next on the list, and I'm sad to see this guy go because I love this name more than anything. Dabo Kato. I know. What the fuck? How can you be seven feet tall and get fired in the WWE while Vince McMahon is still alive? And why was anybody allowed to name him Dabo Kato to begin with? What is a Dabo Kato? You see, in execution, it wasn't as good, but when I close my eyes and think about whatever it was, Raw After Dark with Shane McMahon hosting a fight pit where he had Dabo Kato, just Shane McMahon said, Dabo Kato, Dabo Kato. To me, it's funny. If I watched it again, I would hate it. <laughs> but also, in terms of giant men released, Shanky. Okay, <sighs> he was just tall enough to piss you off, as Mama Cornette would say in paraphrase. He wasn't really a giant, but he was a really tall son of a bitch. But why did they ever call him Shanky, which is way too close to Skanky and or Stanky and sounds like a fucking cast reject from our gang rather than anyone that would physically intimidate you? That was going to be his tag team, Shanky and our gang. But <laughs> Jim, a few other names on here. I don't. Well, <laughs> it'll never be the same. Yeah. I don't know some of these names, so I'm guessing they're either NXT or developmental. Well, one name you know, Quincy Elliott. And I'm, again, poor old Quincy, we barely knew ye. He's going to have to go back to his former full-time occupation as a deflated truck stop novelty condom. Hate to see that level of <laughs> off-brand bad entertainment uh, be taken away from national television, but I'm sure he'll find a soft place to land is Big White Ass. Well, Jim, also on the list, again, I'm not sure uh, some of these names or how to pronounce them. It's either Eichmann, <laughs> Eichmann Gyro <laughs> or Eichmann Hyro. I'm not exactly sure of the pronunciation. But that person, whether it's a man or a woman, I don't know, has been released. Also on the list, Bryson Montana. Bryson Montana? Kevin Ventura Cortez. Kevin Ventura Cortez? Daniel McArthur. Daniel McArthur? Wait a minute. Oh, that's Daniel Garcia, I'm thinking. How can they fire a guy from the other company? How can they fire the great-grandson of Douglas McArthur? Wait a minute. You know what? Not only that, but he it, it, isn't he the son of, of uh, Helen Hayes of the American stage? Also, a few more names. Or was that James MacArthur? I'm not sure. Alexis Gray. 
Brooklyn Barlow. Wait a minute. Not Alexis Bliss. No. And not Layla Gray, but Alexis no. Gray. No, Layla Gray hopefully has a job forever. She's very good. It, Alexis Gray sounds like a fan tribute site to Alexis whatever and Layla and Evernet. Brooklyn Barlow. Br the Brooklyn Brawler? No, Brooklyn Barlow. I'm surprised Lombardi didn't get pissed for fucking gimmick infringement on that one. And finally, again, a name I don't know, Abdul Abadi Fitzgerald. <laughs> Abdul the body Fitzgerald? No, no, Abdul, and it's spelled... Oh, no, it's not Abdul. Excuse me. What? Abul or Abule. It's A-B-U-L-E. I don't know who these people are. A-B-U-L-E. Abuli, Abadi, A-B-A-D-I, slash Fitzgerald. <laughs> oh, so an Irishman, eh? <laughs> <laughs> oh... Well, it's obviously a sign that McMahon's losing his influence. An Irishman was fired from WWE today. No wonder they fired him. They couldn't pronounce his name. They kept saying, hey, get so-and-so in here. What's his name? Is it? Ah, fuck it. It's like the old Pfeffer story, right? Jack Pfeffer calls up the fucking promoter in the town. He says, this week on the card for you, I got a brand new sensation. The Russian killer, Vladivostok. They say, how do you, how do you spell that? The the V L O D the V L A D D ah fuck it don't book him. Well, Jim, these are the uh, collective names of the A uh, A W of the future <laughs> A W superstars of the WWE superstars released this past week. I still believe that the Irishman has a good shot at walking on to A E W and being part of the team. I hate to see people lose their jobs, especially with the holidays coming up. But, ladies and gentlemen. Take heart, because if you do not work for the WWE, then chances are you're not going to get fired between now and Christmas. Now, they're just, they're clearing people out all over the place over there, but if you don't work for them, chances are you're still going to be employed for Christmas. So if I were you, I would make my plans now to buy Christmas presents for the entire family early this year, just in case you still got the job next week or two. Go ahead and spend your money now, because the official Christmas season sale at jimcornette.com is about to start up on Saturday, October the 7th at noon Eastern. That is when we're going to not only have the final remaining, and it may be a little under 800 now, Midnight Express action figure four packs for our 40th anniversary set with the book and the photo and the certificate that comes along with them. But on Saturday, October 7th, all of our regular merchandise, the Cornet Face shirts, the DVDs, the autographed pictures, my action figures, the whole nine yards, is all going to go back on sale after having been counted and restocked, replenished, and refreshed. And we're going to be able to get everything to you by Christmas, unless you live in potentially somewhere on the coast of Russia. But otherwise, we're going to have plenty of time. And the feather bottoms have been working so hard. And almost on the pre-orders of the, the action figure sets, and we're at what, like 1,200? I have not only signed uh, two-thirds at least of those photos, 800 with only about another 400 to go, but the feather bottoms, as we speak, are packing the first action Midnight Express action figure set, so that's going to go out. The pre-orders are even going to get started mailed out earlier than what we had anticipated. 
That's how together their shit is. So, jimcornett.com for all the needs of your your family, your friends, your close relatives, your enemies, people you'd like to piss off. I will write fuck you on an autographed picture if I'm paid to do so. You can spend all your money at jimcornett.com while you're still employed and have Christmas presents for everybody when you come down their chimney this holiday season. But that's where you can spend your money. Yeah. Now the question is, where can you invest your money? Is the stock market a good place to invest your money, Brian? How's the how's the podcast one stock going? The live one stock going? How are the the big high muckety muck players on Wall Street reacting to the stock since we've been telling them about it for the past few weeks now? Not so well. And again, we are right now in the latest installment of the saga of Colin Thompson cast media live one podcast one, something we were dragged into because Colin Thompson took our money and we still don't have any accounting and we're still owed a lot of money as so many others have more shows have come out in the past week, Jim. But as far as the stock goes, we are recording on the weekend. The market is closed. So obviously this does not reflect where it will be in the future. But it closed at $2.05, the Podcast One stock, although some wild after-hours movement on the stock, it got up to $2 and, what is this, $2.34. Ooh! So someone after hours tried to buy a bunch and uh, jack this thing up, and then it shot down to $1.91. No! And now it's at two sixteen again after hours, but it closed at two oh five. We'll see what happens. And the parent company. So 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 wait a minute. So every time that the market closes uh, in in late hours, somebody tries to pump a little money into it to see if is it like CPR for a stock, Brian? Well, let's pump a little into him and see if he can breathe on its own, and then he starts flatlining again the next day. Well, we're not exactly sure, and I will look into this, but remember, podcast, allegedly, well, Podcast One did put out a press release on their own saying they're about to have a big stock buyback. They've increased the amount of money they're going to spend buying their own stock back. Also, they're giving a ton of stock to all these poor saps that are doing business with them. So we don't know, but the parent company itself, Live One, actually they closed a dollar five as oh. of uh, yesterday. But that's progress. That's up from a dollar two. So they had a big three cent bump for Friday. Now wait a minute. Hold on. We've talked about how the podcast one stock is brand new. They just went public uh, it was last week or week before, or whatever. And they were trying to start it at $8 and it fell quickly to under four. And now it's at $2 and whatever you just quoted. Well, Live One has had a stock out there for a while. Has it ever been worth anything? Is it plummeting now or has it been caca from, uh, for some time or from the start? Going based on what is here, and this may not be completely accurate. You'd spend more than a dollar and two cents to print the stock certificate out, wouldn't you? Well, the stock, I believe it debuted September 5th, 2014, or at least that's the earliest I have here. At that point, it was $10.50. Oh. In 2016, it had a big jump up to $60 a share. $60. $60 a share, but then in December 2017... It shot up to, what is this? It's not going to be hover. $90 a share. $90, 2017. Well, December 2017. And then 
Well, two days later, it shot down to four dollars. What? Wait, what? Ho, ho, what? It went from ninety dollars to four dollars in in two days. No, actually, it may be a little bit longer than that because uh, it doesn't let me zoom in further. But in a short period of time, it went from sixty to ninety to four. Not seven twenty-five, so it dropped to seven dollars and twenty-five cents, and then four, and then. That's 2018. What the fuck happened? Was Rob Ellen the CEO then? Who was running that thing? Did they get caught with a, a dead girl or a live boy on Broadway? We don't know any of the uh, financials or any of their history, and I believe it was Rob Ellen running the company then. And then since that time, going through its scanning, it's gotten as high as it looks like into the $6 once or twice, $3, $4, $2, $4. And then it's been... Since the end of 2021, it seems to have been under $2 the entire time, and at times under $1. Okay, so there's some homework for somebody out there in the cult of Cornet. Find out for us if you can, or if you were a part of this, what the fuck happened in that period of time where it went from 60 to 90 to 4 and what did people find out about this company that made them want to shed their stock and disavow any knowledge of their actions? And again, I want to go back to one other thing, because one thing I have heard from a few people, and it's been annoying in a way, because it's like, man, you're ignorant. When they say, well, if you had just taken the deal, you would have gotten something. <laughs> you would have gotten something. The stock was worthless. We'd have gotten hernias from trying to pick up boxes and boxes of worthless stock certificates. When you invest money in something, you're looking to make money. You're not looking to lose money or lose value because you're not investing in this. You're being given this to replace a debt that someone else racked up by running off with your money. It's a whole nother story. But to be given this stock, where's the value? Look at their financial statements. Look at podcast one. Look at live one. Where's the value? If I invest money in Apple, I see value depending on what price I get in at. I don't think it's going away. I think they have lots of cash on hand. They make lots of money. If a product doesn't do well, it still does exceptionally good. And they constantly are churning out new things. And people have hope for the future. When you're investing in Podcast One, for instance, how is that sustainable? It has to be a sustainable business for you to truly make your money back. If you're an investor, not if you're a trader, not if you're looking to dive in for one day, buy a whole bunch, and then as soon as you make a few cents on each share, dump everything. I don't do that. Long-term investor, where's the value in any of this? There isn't any. So we turn down valueless stock to us. Turns out, as of this point, we were more right than we even knew. It's valueless to everybody else, too. And this story just continues. It's a disaster. It's a runaway train. Colin Thompson, and I promise you, I know a whole lot more about how investing works than Colin Thompson, tried to sell us in those emails on what a wonderful opportunity this stock was. I hope he really believed that. I really hope he did. Because then he must be losing his mind on top of everything else, knowing that the paper he got from Rob is worthless. Well, and, and Theo Vaughn figured that out, and all the other people that have come out and talked about it on their podcast, which there's been several this past week. And, uh, you know, it disappoints old Sarah Silverman. She's a funny young lass. I bet she could really 
verbally eviscerate Colin Thompson, but she hasn't come out and said anything. She just moved to another podcast platform and started her podcast back again, apparently free of the cast debacle, but uh, she hadn't come out and blistered him yet. I'd love to hear what she has to say in private. There's a lot of people that still haven't come out and said anything. A lot of shows that are still not understanding or not knowing how things are going to work out for them. Not everyone may have control of their RSS feeds. Pendulette went to Patreon. We don't know what's going on with a lot of shows, but a lot of the other shows were doing what we can to help each other. And two more people came out this week. I believe they were both under Big IP Media, Scott Porch, and talked about cast media owing them money. These are very popular YouTubers. One of them said he's owed 100000 Another one said he's owed 16000 And this is all still adding up. More people are coming out. More lawsuits are coming out. I referenced something the other day, Jim, that people really reacted to. I said that there was something we found out that Colin did that we wouldn't do to our worst enemy. And and actually, that's when I said, I would even, I, I'm trying to remember my exact quote. I said, I'd even lay off a fucking Russo if this happened to him. And a lot of people blew up of, what in the world could that be? Well, we now have permission to tell what in the world that could fucking be. I have an email here from Dustin Knaus. Dustin was, I believe he said, Colin's business partner. He was, I forget the exact title, VP of production or something, a cast. He gave us permission to talk about this. So let me read a little bit of this. Colin refused to pay overtime, make proper schedules for people to be able to have lunch and do other things, uh, and he did other illegal things as an employer, excuse me. I tried to spare my team by putting in too much time. I was working 70 to 80 hours a week for less than what I would have made as a producer at any other network while having the title of vice president. Strung along with the promise of getting it back once the network finally sold, and had its show's IP, or had its own show's and IP. I told Colin he needed to pay his producers overtime, that he couldn't do this. He said to me, quote, if they have a problem not being paid overtime, they can sue me. Just kidding, but not really. Well, in 2021, right when I was about to launch the Howie Mandel show, I had a child. But the child was born three months premature. As a result, Collins said he wanted to wait for the launch of Howie's show. He said he wanted to redo the pilot, even though we had everything set up for launch. After the child was born, I told Colin I couldn't work the hours I used to, which were all logged in a time tracker. I said I had to cut it down. This was in a big COVID surge. I was spending every day at the hospital with my child every day, not knowing if he was going to live or die. He was born at 26 weeks and weighed 2.1 pounds. Mm. Colin knew what I was going through. A week or so after my son was born, Colin sent an email to me saying, I was the delay in Howie's launch, that there were communication issues lately, and that if things didn't get better, I would be let go in 30 days. I knew it was retaliation for standing up for the team and trying to stop him from being a scumbag. I upped my game, still working 60 hours a week, 
I would work a cast during the day, then at night see my son. My wife and I weren't allowed in the hospital at the same time. I would wait in the car while she saw him, then we would trade off. At one point, he was diagnosed with, uh, I may get this wrong, hydrocephalus. Hydrocephalus, I guess it would be. I'm not sure. It's hydrocephalus. Hydrocephalus and had to be rushed to Children's Hospital where we feared he would have to undergo brain surgery. At multiple points, he was showing signs of NEC, a gastrointestinal problem that is almost always fatal in infants. I was always open about what was going on with him, with Colin, and my team. Colin told me things were better. He saw improvements with my performance. Three days before I was supposed to take my paternity leave and finally get my son home after months in the hospital, Colin called me up and let me go. In California, paternity leave is a percentage of your income. If you don't have income, you don't get paternity leave. So he screwed me over. I was defeated, exhausted emotionally, and couldn't put up a fight. I wish I had sued then and there, but I didn't have it in me. So that's a portion of this, and I think says a lot about the character of Colin Thompson. And I have no reason to doubt what Dustin Canals put in his email. I've talked to other people who know him from cast. No one has said he's a liar or anything else. And of course, he's had public comments on the CoffeeZilla thing. If he said something wrong, I'm sure... We would have heard something about it. And this is the way someone who helped Colin build cast media from the inside was treated. And then he was telling them, too, oh, you're going to get stuck. You're going to get stuck. And then for the, some people like Dustin got canned before they even got stock. Or I believe he said he did get some stock, but it's, it's worthless. And, you know, so what, nobody gets anything. And again, too, as we know, I think we may know it a little better than other people from wrestling, just an example to use, getting stock is different than getting stock options. Jerry Jarrett thought he was getting stock in Goulas Welch. He was getting stock options, and those options were denied by Nick Goulas. He got nothing. And that's, you know, that's what everybody is getting and actually, the only good thing is, Colin, the stock he's supposed to be getting is in Live One, and their stock ain't worth a shit either. But, you know, the, at least they're getting first count, so if anybody gets their money back, it'll be Colin and his crooked little friend Rob and their crooked little lawyer sack of nuts and whatever the rest of them. And again, they said they were going to file for bankruptcy if none, if these deals didn't go through. The deals didn't go through. They haven't filed for bankruptcy. Colin is still billing. There are shows, and Colin has said publicly he's not letting it be known exactly which shows they are. There are shows he's still working on. He's still dealing directly with advertisers. There are advertisers still willing to work with Colin Thompson. And that's what's really fucked up. He stole everyone's money, and he thinks he could just keep doing what he's doing. He's a nut. That's Do we know that all the advertisers know what he's done? Are they in their own little business bubbles and they don't uh, understand what's going on, even though with all the headlines over the last few weeks? We certainly know that they will. And I think it's ironic that someone who, it turns out, is a complete bullshit artist 
is the executive producer and working on a show called The Opportunist. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. I'd like to go see what their reviews are on Apple, see if anyone's put two and two together. Yeah, but he sh he made a mistake when he he screwed the guy over that does the investigative podcasts about criminal activity. Well, there's going to be a lot more stories coming out in the weeks ahead, and there's a lot we know right now that we can't reveal. I'm going to reiterate what I said last time. I think Colin's going to go to federal prison, and I think this is a bigger story, and it's been going on longer than people realized, and it's going to probably be years before we get a real read on the accounting because it's going to have to come from multiple places and be put together. But we got to make sure we don't let Colin have the ability to just move on. Like nothing was wrong because that's what they tried. And Rob Ellen podcast one live one, go read his public comments. Still putting over Colin putting over the guy who took everyone's money. Says a lot about him too. And his bullshit company. Bad CEOs help other bad CEOs. But there'll be more to come on this. Of course, if you have a problem with anything we said here today, tough shit. This whole segment's been cleared by Stephen P. New, 888-692-8084. The best lawyer in the world, Stephen P. New. Newlawoffice.com. That's right. And uh, and by the way, and you'll be hearing from him on a more direct basis, Colin and, and Rob, as a... Uh, He's already reached out initially, Neil, but Neil, 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 Conan. <laughs> so speaking of speaking of piece of shit CEOs, no, nah, come on, we can't do that. Uh, Vince McMahon, not the CEO anymore, but he's a big wig. I forget what his new title is in the big conglomerate, but there is something about his stock and how it's classified and valued and et cetera, et cetera, that we were, we were going to get into. Uh, let's do that at this point, since we're already on the, the financial news, oh, wizard of Wall Street. Well, Jim, this past week, two big articles that a lot of people were talking about, information in both of them that is uh, very interesting. Why don't we start with the Axios article by Dan Primack, WWE founder Vince McMahon, sets the stage for his possible exit. Uh, da, 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 da. Pro wrestling magnate Vince McMahon is hinting that he wants out of the family business, according to regulatory filings tied to WWE's recent merger with the UFC. Except when you think about it, who else from the family is left in the family business? And then the headline here driving the news, the new combined entity, TKO, has registered all of McMahon's shares for sale, thus enabling him to avoid the lockup period that applies to other TKO shareholders like Endeavor and Silver Lake. Okay, now, because, you know, I'm like a lot of people out there. I'm just a small-town bird lawyer. I'm not well-versed in stock market law. But this means, and not that he's... He's saying they're up for sale right now, but he's saying they're classified. He can sell them at any time. Other of these executives getting this stock may have to wait a certain period of time before they could sell it, but he could sell this anytime he wants to. That's right. And he may be the only person uh, from the ownership end or from the people who have shares at that end 
who can do that, because again, if Endeavor can't and Silver Lake can't, who else can? McMahon currently holds around 28.84 million TKO <laughs> shares, which was valued at $3 billion as of yesterday's market close. So who who would that benefit? It, does it is it only a benefit to Vince that he can do whatever he wants whenever he wants, or is that a benefit to the company? Because well, we can buy you out anytime if that becomes necessary. What? Well, who, or yeah. is, or is everybody prospering off something like this? Well, I think they break down a few of the options here behind the scenes. TKO first disclosed its registration plan on page one eighty four of an SEC filing last month. And neither the company nor McMahon is commenting any further. On first glance, this simply seems to be about giving McMahon flexibility. Or maybe even giving TKO flexibility, given the ongoing investigation. Ah. Particularly, given the subsequent registration statement filed last week doesn't include any underwriters. But... That same filing says... Well, now, I used to spend a lot of time with Vince. Most of the time, he didn't wear any underwriters. The same filing says that McMahon, alongside two other TKO executives, will be selling stockholders in this offering. This... No, wait a minute. That means will be sell. That means they will be selling stockholders, then not that they will be selling stockholders ice cream cones or whatever. That's They'll be selling stockholders in this enterprise. That means they're, they're going to be selling this shit. McMahon and two other TKO executives. Hmm. That's a definite verb tense penned by lawyers who are paid a lot of money to be accurate. Why it matters? McMahon is one of TKO's greatest assets, given his institutional knowledge of the business. That's why he participated in listing day at the New York Stock Exchange last Tuesday despite being on medical leave related to spinal surgery, posing for photos with Endeavor CEO Ari Emanuel and UFC boss Dana White. But he's also one of its greatest liabilities, not only for past misconduct, including payoffs to cover up alleged sexual misconduct, but because in July, he was served with both a federal search warrant and a federal grand jury subpoena although the nature of the investigation is unclear and McMahon hasn't been charged with the crime. Hmm. Throwing it back to you, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> back to you, Jim. Well, you know, you mentioned something to me the other day we were talking, where you said a lot of people thought, and maybe still think, that this was just Vince's way to get back in the way to get back in was to bring in these people and do this sale of the company so that he'd be in charge instead of Stephanie or whoever else or anybody else or the board or whatever. But I've, a lot of people I said are overlooking when Vince decides that something is the thing to do, then that's what he decides is the thing to do until it completely flops or he does it. And I believe both of these things, all these things can be true. I think that when they told him to go home, the heat's on, Vince. Go, you know, go lie low till the heat goes, you know, uh, calms down. He started, he had a lot of time to think. 
And that's where he came up with this fucking idea. If he didn't have it already and decided that was the time to act on it, I'm going to put this deal together and I'm going to sell this company. It's going to be worth $10 billion fucking dollars. And from that point on, that's when he goes into Vince mode where anybody that doesn't agree with this fucking inspiration that he's had is crazy and blind and doesn't see it. And, you know, I'm the only one that can fix this. And he was going to come back and do it. And he did what he needed to do to get that deal done. And the deal got done. And now he's got $3 billion worth of stock in that alone, besides whatever else he's got everywhere else. And he's vindicated in this. And that's the thing with Vince. When he wants to do these things, until they either flop the Debbie Reynolds Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas that was going to be WWF Las Vegas or the fucking restaurant or the bodybuilding company, whatever. And then you just don't bring it up to him anymore. Or the many things he's done that have made millions and millions and millions of dollars. And then he crows about them forevermore. But I think it wasn't just for him to come back and run the company as it was. It was for him to come back and lead the sale of this mega billion dollar new entity. And he's done that. And at this point, he may want he may want to just sell two billion dollars of his stock and keep a billion, whatever the fuck. But remember, I said a while back he wanted somebody to hand him that big fucking check. Well, somebody handed him the big fucking check. TKO itself says in a regulatory filing, McMahon's membership on our board could expose us to negative publicity and or have other adverse financial and operational impacts on our business. His membership also may result in additional scrutiny or otherwise exacerbate the other risks described herein. Any of these outcomes could directly or indirectly have adverse financial and operational impacts on our business, and neither TKO nor McMahon commented for this story. As you would expect, they probably wouldn't, because they're too busy making if, all this fucking money. If he's indicted, this is a way... I mean, just looking, even if it's not what they're planning on, this is an option. If he gets indicted, this is a way that he can cash out and the business cannot have him tied to it. Yeah. So that and, and that may be a thing. They may have said, Vince, tell you what, we're going to set it up this way because if anything happens, it really fucking shit hits the fan. Then you just sell your shit. You've got $3 billion and we don't have any on us. Remember, they weren't a publicly traded company in 94 when he was indicted. You know, he'll be on the board of directors and indicted that, you know, if I'm Ari Emanuel, I wouldn't want that. They already know there's a lot of risks involved with Vince and we don't even know everything. We well, yeah, know you know, out. you can't have somebody that's been indicted on the board. That would be as crazy as having somebody that's been indicted be the president of the United States or something. It certainly would be as crazy as that. Hopefully that doesn't happen. But any, any final thoughts on Vince having the option, the ability to sell at any time? Yes, yeah, Daddy said sell. <laughs> Podcast One didn't want to give us that ability. We couldn't sell what, it any time. What happens if he sells it to Stephanie? What happens if then Stephanie has three billion? Then Stephanie has three billion dollars, or Stephanie and some VC clown get three billion dollars to give him for the stock. What if they were to? What if they were to say to Vince, "You got to go, Vince. They indicted you for diddling a midget on Broadway." 
Okay. Hey, Stephanie, come here. Listen, I'm going to loan you $3 billion. Buy my shares. Okay, here you go. Now she's running the fucking place. Well, at a minimum, she would get a seat on the board if she had that many shares in the company, I would imagine. I would think she'd get a plush recliner on the board for that many shares. Well, you don't know. Uh, but we're somehow going to move on from here. We're going to move on. You know what? <laughs> the thing is, it's all about the comfort of the seat. It is all about the comfort of the seat, or in some cases, the bed or the mattress on the bed. And that's where our friends at Helix Sleep come in. You see how quickly I did that, Brian? It was just like that. Wow. Because I'll have you know that the folks at Helix Sleep create the finest quality sleep experiences that you will ever experienceify. Because I'm telling you, everybody loves these. They have 20 unique mattresses. The award-winning Lux Collection, the newly released Helix Elite Collection, the mattress designed for big and tall sleepers. It's fucking huge. Sometimes it won't even go in the door. Regardless of what member of the family, you know, I bet you could even put the puppy or the kitty on those kids' mattresses because they're almost the same size, depending on whether it's a Great Dane or a Malamute. Nevertheless, whatever mattress, whatever member of the family, you know if it comes from Helix Sleep, it's going to be made just for you because not only do you go to helixsleep.com, that's where you go, first of all. You go right to there. And then you take the quiz. And you tell them how you like to sleep and what position and, you know, how much you weigh. Take a caliper to, you know, give them your body fat index so no. they can build this thing out right. No, it's just the questions that need to be answered, not more information than is necessary. Well, they don't want to be rude and, and just intrude on your personal life. And just the top four sexual positions you plan to no. execute on this mattress will be fine, just so they know that the coils are in the right place. There will be no survey about sexual positions, and there is no uh, guarantee about anything with coils. Again, we're talking about a great mattress, a mattress that the entire family could enjoy, a mattress that when it comes into your house, you get the wonderful experience of watching it inflate. It's yes. quite the thing. And it's quite the thing. All the kids like it. We have a few Helix mattresses here in the house. I, of course, have their all-form couch. I always brag about that, but we're talking today about the Helix Sleep Mattress. What a wonderful you, mattress, Jim. You just don't want to be doing a combination of reverse cowgirl and, and baseball catcher and, and have a coil pop out and wang your, wang your willy. You know, that's where you're down. You're squatted down on your, on your haunches there like a baseball catcher, but the person that you're in, in Congress with is turned upside down and their legs are facing backwards while their head is looking at your coin purse. But Folks, again, everybody's unique and everybody sleeps differently, and that's why Helix has all these different models to choose from. They'll help you pick the right one for you, and then... I'll have the Johnny Bench! And the, if the Johnny Bench, as a matter of fact, that, well, I won't even mention that person's name. He's still alive, but he was a master of that in Norfolk, Virginia. I'll have the Yogi anyway, Berra! I took the Helix sleep quiz, and I got matched up with a model that I wanted, and you will too. And these models, they've been to modeling school and everything. And these models will come and knock on your door and they'll be matched up with because Helix Sleep also performs a dating service. No, they do and not. And they will match you up with a model. No, a model mattress is what it is. I'm sorry, I was misreading the copy. You're going to have to pick up your own model. But they have different model mattresses that they can match you up with. And they've got years of extensive mattress expertise. Every single person working for Helix Sleep has slept at least once a day their entire life. 
They're very experienced. And they know about your firmness preferences and sleep positions because they're peeking in your window at night. No, come, again, you, you once again, you just, for no good reason, go too far. No one will be peeking well, not in the every, window. Of course, it wouldn't be possible to peep in everybody's window. They just, they have, they the don't peek in any, go to, no, the people that go to the website, they get, uh, they get a special tracker put on them. They're going to peep <laughs> into your window. No, they don't. Let's not even joke about this. There will be no trackers. There will be no peepers. There will be no peekers. <laughs> there will peepers be nothing you peekers. have to worry about except having a great night's sleep on your brand new Helix sleep mattress with no one looking through the window. That comes with a 15-year manufacturer's warranty if it's the Elite Collection and the same 100-night trial as the rest of Helix's mattresses. The rest of them have a 10-year warranty. I mean, how long do you expect to live? You think you're going to have this there? You're going to make it another 10 years? If you're not sure, just go ahead and buy the mattress. Don't worry about the warranty. And if you're nervous about buying a mattress online, don't be. Because you'll never know that anybody has laid on this before. Because they have a team of mattress specialists that clean these things up every time they come in and they get sent back out again. No, you actually, hold on, it says here you get a new one every time. Son of a gun. How do they afford to do that with these low prices? Brand new and wonderful Helix Sleep Mattress. That's exactly right. So, uh, once again, they support us, wink, wink, nod, nod, in more ways than one. Both uh, lumbar support and financial support, so... Why don't you support them? Go right now to helixsleep.com slash JCE, and you're going to get 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows to rest your weary heads upon. Go to helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash JCE, 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows. Whether you get the wee little mattress for the wee little people, or the big mattress for your corpulent, fat, disgusting relative of whatever type, or anything in between, 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows. That's right. Helix Sleep. Yes, dot com slash JCE. All right, well, time to wake up. And, uh, you know, there's, no? more, there's more Vince stuff. Oh, there is? Yeah, uh, also, there was an L.A. Times article. Oh, I forgot about that. Well, let's talk about that. I have a little bit here, and a lot of listeners did want to hear what you had to say about this. It's talking about his relationship with the board of directors and having to step down. In November, the board's special committee concluded its investigation. It found that in addition to the settlements, McMahon made two additional payments totaling $5 million in 2007 and 2009. They were unrelated to the misconduct allegations but were not recorded, and those were the contributions. Now, wait a minute. Is that, is that new on the board now here? Uh, on the board. On the tote board, that is. Is this new stuff that no. we didn't know about? No, this is, uh, again, I'm just going, uh, trying to find the exact stuff. The $5 million represented contributions WWE made to Donald J. Trump Foundation, oh, the journal first reported. Another grifting con man scheme. Uh, let me scroll down a little. The board He's not allowed to run a charity in New York, any of his criminal family, Trump, anymore, right? Legally, because they were robbing from some charitable foundation, stealing from needy children. I believe that is true, actually. But the board determined that while McMahon personally made all of the payments, they should have been recorded as WWE expenses because McMahon was a principal shareholder and they benefited the company. McMahon was asked to commit to paying for any costs associated with the investigation. As of August, he had reimbursed the company about $17.4 million. <sighs> Regulatory filings show, wow. 
McMahon soon came to regret his decision to walk away. In December, he wrote two letters to the board and included in regulatory filings, viewed by the Times, informing them of his intention to return as executive chairman and that he planned to explore a, quote, review of strategic alternatives, end quote, meaning a sale of the company. McMahon was WWE's majority owner with controlling voting power. The board disagreed, saying in a letter that his return, quote, would not be prudent, end quote, <laughs> amid ongoing government investigations. But McMahon overrode the board's unanimous vote opposing his return by leveraging his majority voting power. He removed three directors and elected himself and two former co-presidents to replace them. McMahon was also voted in as executive chairman. Here's a quote. He's the kind of person who expects loyalty, said someone close to one of the ousted directors, adding that McMahon viewed its investigation as an act of disloyalty, even though the board was doing its job. I'm telling you, I've been saying this for years. Vince McMahon is Donald Trump, good looking with nice hair and articulate. Otherwise, there's not a lot of difference. Two other board members, Ignace LeHood and Manjeet Singh. Remember, we talked about Iggy and Jeet. Resigned immediately. LeHood found the explosion of allegations disconcerting and did not believe McMahon's return was judicious. Here's a quote from LaHood. It wasn't aligned with my way of seeing what governance is. There was a misalignment with what my values are. Under his new two-year contract, McMahon would receive annual compensation valued at $7.6 million, use of the corporate jet, and ownership of his intellectual property and life story, SEC filings show, if the company was sold, McMahon would receive a minimum lump sum cash payment of $11 million. As majority shareholder, his equity payout would be worth billions more. Well, yes, and, and he made, I don't know whether he personally named those people to the board or whether other people did, but he allowed the mistake to be made or made it that he put honest people on his board that were from, remember we said, who are these people? They were from the real business world. They weren't from the wrestling business and they didn't know what the fuck Vince McMahon would do if you told him, Vince, no, you can't do that with your company, the WWF. And then they found out. And that's the thing is that, do you think that Libnon and Maljeet and anybody else involved in this was going to put this fucking thing together to sell this company and merge it with UFC under TKO and Endeavor and the Hollywood agents and all this stuff. If Vince wasn't around doing it, they might've done it, but they wouldn't have done it this quick. And they probably wouldn't have done it with this much pizzazz because that's Vince. So he just got rid of these these fuckers that were trying to be all goddamn morally conscious on him and came back and, you know, generated billions of dollars. 
Yeah, and again, uh, we won't go through the whole article here, but one last thing. It says the deal with Endeavor came about quickly. McMahon mold potential suitors, including Liberty Media. You may remember I mentioned them a long while back. Yeah. Which owns the Atlanta Braves, Sirius XM, and Formula One Racing, as well as Saudi Arabia's Sovereign Wealth Fund. In the spring, Ari Emanuel and Mark Shapiro, Endeavor's president and chief operating officer, made a pilgrimage to WWE headquarters in Stamford. They finalized the deal within weeks in the conference suites of SoFi Stadium during WrestleMania. And, you know, again, that's the thing is, I'm sure Libby there or Iggy or whatever his name was, was all offended by this, but he just didn't realize Vince McMahon was going, whatever happened with the WWE was going to be what Vince McMahon wanted to happen. It's his company. never any doubt of that. Even though it was a public company, he never saw it that way. It was really his company and he was going to govern it the way he wanted to. And as soon as it didn't work out the way he wanted, he found a way to take over. And if it was going to be sold, it was going to be under his terms. Yeah. And, and it's never really been a public company. If one guy owns 80% of something, then what difference does it make? Who owns this, that, and the other thing and a piece of that? That was just a way to, you know, give everybody money they didn't earn through the stock scam. It's still always been Vince McMahon's fucking business. And now it finally is not. But as long as nothing, no accusation too unsavory comes along, it still will be. Because they know that Vince is the one that got him this far. Well, we shall see what happens with this. Uh, it's very interesting. Again, it, I guess it all, everything comes back to what's going to happen next for Vince. Is he going to be indicted? Is he going to be tied up in something bigger than what we know? Or is it going to go away quickly? Well, speaking of going away quickly, let's talk about the, the talent roster and the viewership of AEW in this week in wrestling, because all of them are going to, no, they actually did a decent rating this week. They got their extra hundred thousand people for the big hotshot event they've been promoting, but it was AEW Wednesday night dynamite, September 20th. This was the grand slam event at Arthur Ashe stadium. First year was 20,000 people. They filled it up. Last year was, what did what did you say, 13,000-something? I think so, yeah. This year, they said they had a late ticket rush because there was only, what, 6,000 or so out, but they sent MJF to do every bit of local publicity oh they God. could get. He was all over local Was TV. he everywhere? Yeah, he was on Channel 2 the other day. All of a sudden, I'm watching the news at 9 a.m., the local news, and there's MJF with John Elliott, the best local weather guy, and Cindy Shue, and... They're having a fun talk while he's just completely obnoxious and rude to them while <laughs> smiling at them. It's great. <laughs> well, they had a late rush, but the problem is the crowd shots looked like a darkened stadium set up for a half of a crowd. So did we ever find out how many people they legitimately had there and how, uh, how far they managed to pull this out of the toilet? I'll look to see if there's a number. I had heard a little bit about a late rush, too, but I have not heard any number attributed to it. You know, does that mean 1,000 people showed up and bought tickets? Does that mean 5,000 people? What does that mean? And well, and, and, you know, we've talked about in the old days, in the territory days especially, your advance was probably, you know, a third of your house at best. 
right? In spot shows, not even so much. But now, almost every ticket is bought in advance, and walk-up is almost non-existent. It's completely reversed, but they did have a good a good surge at the end there, whatever that is for them. But again, they had the building. You could tell the stage was big. You can tell that one end of the building was closed off. And I'm wondering again now, are they getting into a Texas Stadium Von Erich Memorial situation where they needed the stadium the first year, they had a great show, they made a statement, sold it out, big crowd in New York, the home backyard of WWE. But now going to it every year, and they got a hustle to get a half a stadium, wouldn't it be better going indoors and saving the goddamn... I guess there's a roof on this too, but you know what? Going to a building rather than a stadium if you can't get more than ten or 12,000. And I'm seeing things here, and again, I don't have an exact number, but I guess word is going around from various sources that it may have been over 11,000 people in the building, which is an incredible walk-up if that's the case. And like I said, MJF was at the Met game. He was all over local <laughs> TV. He was everywhere. It's a wonderful way to stay home for the week, I have to say. <laughs> if you're going to just have to do that stuff, you get to stay in Long Island. Well, but also he's the only guy that can pull that off to go to that many different places with different kinds of crowds and different atmospheres and be able to still be himself, but pitch the show and sell tickets. And listen, he was the most over guy on the show, but I guess the other issue is if they really had 11,000 people there, part of the issue is it didn't look like it. I kept looking for a good crowd shot just to kind of weigh how many people were there. It was so dark that you couldn't really tell it was even a stadium. Well, I remember that I thought at least that it was lit up the first year. It was. They had 20,000 people there. They lit well, it up. Well, yeah, but couldn't they light up half of it? And we, uh, look, here's half of our stadium. We got the same amount on the other half. Take our word for it. I don't know. Do you think next year for um, Dynamite Grand Slam, since it is an annual event, should AEW team up with one of the local hospitals? And, you know, they could have, like, their ambulances <laughs> yeah. there. To get guys right out, and there are so many hospitals in the area. They're always in competition. Their commercials are all over TV. Yeah. Should that be someone AEW looks at as a potential sponsor? Well, that might, because that way it would save, uh, you know, get ahead of the traffic on the way to the hospital as the show goes on. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. I'm going to call some bullshit and shenanigans on a couple things. But let me mention that the opening match of this program was Claudio Castagnoli against Eddie Kingston for the Ring of Honor title, right? And Claudio was a Ring of Honor guy. Eddie Kingston spent a little bit of time there, but Claudio was was in Ring of Honor for quite a while. They had the same kind of goddamn match that everybody else on his program has. Claudio can work. He can wrestle. The very first moves they did, they stood there and took turns with the chops and the forearms. Then they went to the floor for an extended period of time with no count out. Then they got back in the ring, and instead of wrestling, they did the Japanese strong-style stuff. Then they had a fight on the ramp. Then they went to the break. When they came back, Claudio was getting heat on Kingston, and Kingston made a comeback. And again, every match is either modern Japanese style or what they believe it to be, or gymnastics, or a combination of whatever, they need producers that have the power to produce. Because I keep hearing that the producers or agents or whatever they term them, 
they're there to make suggestions but not give orders, apparently. And that the guys put their own matches together in large part. And then maybe the producer, well, here's the finish. Maybe you might get there this way. But they're doing the same. And then... And it shows. Then they were standing there taking turns, letting the other guy hit him again. And I'm like, what the fuck? And then... It, it Kingston is from New York, so the pe- he was over with the people. They were into it. I'm not saying they didn't enjoy Eddie Kingston. But Claudio hits a couple of big moves. Kingston keeps kicking out. And then Kingston got a false finish and got a big pop because he's over in New York. But after they went back and forth and did some shit, then everybody was kind of immobile for about 30 seconds. Kingston was standing there. Claudio was selling. And then Kingston just powerbombed him. One, two, three. Big pop because it's Eddie Kingston in New York, but the finish just here. I'm going to grab him, pick him up, and power by him. Boom. One, two, three. After all this other shit they'd done. And then they shook hands because <laughs> they're still doing the code of honor thing. And so apparently they're not mad at each other anymore for the reasons that they were never able to explain to us verbally to begin with. But before I talk about the Code of Honor, what'd you think of the match? I thought it was all right. I'm not a big Claudio fan, and uh, Kingston, I like his personality so much, but he seems to love doing certain things in matches that I'm just not into. And, um, you know, yeah. again, like you said, everyone does the same kind of layout. You're going to see, and I, I hate you even call it yay boo, because that's not what it is anymore. It's just stand here and trade with me. Yeah. Because we saw someone do this in Japan 20 years ago, so we all have to keep doing this. And I don't like that. Now, let's look at the positives. The crowd was super into Eddie. This is what we said. You give him a world title win in New York, the crowd will go crazy. And it was a really cool moment, and I think people will remember the moment more than the match. And what's going to happen when they go to Denver or Colorado Springs or Shively or wherever? What do you mean, what's going to happen? He, you said that Eddie will get a big pop if you put the world title on him in New York. <laughs> but how big of a pop is the Ring of Honor world title going to get anywhere else at this point? Well, nowhere else. He's over. But again, it's more about how he's been used uh, over and over again. Yeah. Starts and stops. But that's everyone's problem in AEW. And well, with the Code of Honor also, they, they did it here and they're going to do it later on. The Code of Honor was the thing that Ring of Honor had come up. And I understand why they did it. And it was a marketing strategy that because the Ring of Honor from inception 2002 to, say, 2009, 8, 9, right before I started there when they got the HDNet television, it was a DVD company, a videotape company, the hardcore fans around the world ordering the, the technical wrestling extravaganza tapes. And so the code of honor, we're going to shake hands, you know, with each other and show our sportsmanship because it's the, the audience, the only audience they had was people who wanted to see good matches on video. But then as they get television, as it carries getting pay-per-view, we got a pay-per-view deal and fucking wasn't worth shit. And then they didn't do others, but nevertheless, trying to get to a wider audience. 
then that got in the way because the average person did, well, why are they shaking hands if they're so fucking mad? And so I inherited that as executive producer and what I try to do with, with Adam Pierce and with Delirious, and we did, was to make the people understand, make the code of honor something besides, okay, these fucking, you know, guys are going to have a match where they try to kill each other and then they're going to shake each other's hand. You still needed heat, you still needed heels, you still needed villains, backstabbers. So when we had the tale of the tape, height, weight, years pro, code of honor, well, all the baby faces would say, yes, we vow to adhere to the code of honor and show sportsmanship and respect for our craft and our sport. And some of the heels would say no, because they were fucking pricks and assholes that didn't want to shake anybody's hand. And some of the heels would say yes, but that was because they were a cocky, arrogant, egotistical heels that would do it in a condescending fashion. And counting, but we tried to make something out of it where without just the announcer saying that guy's a heel and that guy's a babyface, it would be a more modern way of identifying who the heels and the babyfaces are. If a guy's such a dick, he will not shake the hand of the person he's competed against after it, right? Blah, blah, blah. And you could work with that. But I'll go ahead and blow the surprise here. I didn't care. Claudio and Kingston, nobody knew why they were pissed either. Anyway. But later on, Samoa Joe and MJF, they have this goddamn match where they almost kill each other. And then they shake hands. So I guess it's over with forever. Joe's not going to want to get even for not winning the fucking title in his first opportunity. Either that or he was just lying about the handshake. Do you see where I'm going with this? Yeah, and I see it. I mean, WWE just had some stuff with Brock in his handshakes uh, just recently. but And he called that in the ring on his own, come to find out. Well, who would fit better in AEW than someone who's just calling whatever they want to do in the ring? Well, there you go. All right, I've vented enough about that. Do you, um, do you just not like the Code of Honor? Do you think it has any value today, like in 2023? I think it does, but not when you have just had Samoa Joe choking out the fucking guy's friends and saying, I'm going to take everything from you. And conversely, MJF saying, Samoa Doe, I've held this grudge for you shoving me when I was an extra for 10 years or whatever. And they have one match, almost kill each other. And then shake hands. Uh, well, it's at not, least Cody and Brock had three. Well, we will get to that match uh, in a bit. I don't want to say anything else about it now. All right. And speaking of people that are not shaking hands, Roderick Strong and Matt Taven and Mike Bennett and Adam Cole and the whole nine yards, they've got Roddy in the hospital from last week where he was taken to the hospital with his neck and the whole nine yards, and Taven and Bennett are there again. And Cole bursts into the scene just in the nick of time. Like he just got there when moments after the camera turned on. And here, the problem I have with this is, yes, the manager can do the comedy, me or Heenan with the neck brace and malingering. But the top guys, not only can the top guys that are interacting with each other not be involved in it. In other words, Yes, Taven and Bennett, if they'd be more serious, 
could support Roddy and it'd be heelish, right? He's hurt, he's been injured, whatever the fuck. But when Adam Cole, who's supposed to be a babyface and supposed to be a smart human being, comes in and he's buying all this shit that's so obviously tongue-in-cheek, and then Cole leaves Roddy to be at MJF's side, apparently, even though they said the VTR was last week, Cole had to leave so he could go back and be with MJF against Samoa Joe. But later on, when they're about to have the Samoa Joe match, he gets a call from Roddy, who's still in the hospital after a fucking week. Nobody's trying to be serious. Point is, if I'm with the Midnight Express in a goddamn neck brace and whining about how I'm, I've been injured by the fucking Rock and Roll Express, that's one thing. That's to get heat. If the Rock and Roll Express comes into the goddamn scene and is worried about my welfare, that means they're in on it, and it's all bullshit. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm not a fan of this comedy stuff. Was it that Adam Cole left MJF as they pulled up to the building to go to the hospital? Apparently. And then he came back. Because the question is, is Roddy Strong, he's in a New York hospital? Where were they last week? I guess he's been transferred. Right? How else would he, why would he be in a New York hospital? It's for children, this, this thing. All right, so Jericho and Sammy had their match. And now apparently, because it's a big show, Sammy Guevara has a, a friend that's a rapper, like everybody else, some fat guy, and it was really rotten, exceptionally rotten. And the people were sitting on their hands. Is this... I ask this every time, but certainly, God, this just had to be a friend of Sammy's and not like a professional <laughs> rapper, right? You, you say the exact same thing every single time there's a rapper on these shows, and every single time I tell you, I don't know. I actually don't know who this guy was. It, it, he can't get paid to do this. He can't be a prov- he can get paid to stop doing it, but I can't imagine anybody paying him to do it. Maybe they give him stock. Whew. So... The deal with Jericho and Sammy is they've been, Jericho uh, was, you know, switched babyface because he was going to join the other heel group and leave all of his appreciators and stab him in the back, but that heel group stabbed him in the back, so he thought about the error of his ways. And Sammy has been the one to say, I'll always be there for you, but you are full of yourself, right? And there was a little needling back and forth, and they're going to have a match and and just see what happens, right? So there's supposed to be some build amongst these friends before the tempers flare, one would think, right? The booking of Chris Jericho, the Chris Jericho-led booking of Chris Jericho has been atrocious for a long time, and I said it a long time ago. There's a way to get value out of Chris Jericho, and it comes from not letting him book himself. Okay, but point is that they shook hands to start the match. They did one spot with a shoulder tackle. Sammy did a nip up. They both slapped each other in the face and then started throwing punches the first 30 seconds. Yeah, the match layout was stupid. What do you want me to tell you? And uh, so uh, basically I zoned out on most of the, they went to the break, they came back. I saw Sammy do a backflip off the top to the floor right past Jericho, landed on his right knee and sold it kind of big for a second. And then 
Jericho went for his leap off the top rope to drop kick or clothesline or do whatever to the guy that's on the apron, and Sammy tried on the apron, tried to stop him with a super kick, but Jericho landed flat-footed and stopped two feet short of Sammy's foot. And Jericho got the walls, and I'm writing, this is so long now. And they helped each other balance precariously on the top rope, and then Sammy did a cutter off the top for a two-count. And then it was like at that point they were, I know they were trying to sell like they were exhausted. I'm not sure how much selling Jericho was doing and how much legitimacy there was, but it was like they were in quicksand. And then Sammy goes to do the backflip off the top rope, shooting star, whatever the fuck. And Jericho tries to jump up and catch him with the code breaker. And they kind of fell in a heap, but it, was close enough that Jericho got the three count. So Jericho beats Sammy. And then Jericho offers Sammy his hand, and they shake, and they hug. And then Sammy turns around and kicks Jericho in the balls. And out comes Don Fallis, and Sammy has joined the Don Fallis family. So Jericho had to beat him one, two, three, so that then he could turn heel. And joined a what was he gonna turn if he beat Jericho? I guess not. I guess if he won, he'd have been fine. But then Don must not have had very much confidence in him because Don was waiting right there to walk out. The point of why wouldn't you if you're gonna turn a fucking guy heel, why wouldn't Don come out and make the difference and Sammy beat Jericho? Rather than okay, I'll beat him. Now he can kick me in the balls, and then he joins the heel group after I've already beat him. That's a total Jericho move. It's a, the guy's going to come out and cost you a match. How about we do it a different way? I beat Sammy, <laughs> and then everything happens after I beat Sammy. <sighs> the Don Callis, everything with it has been backwards. He accepted joining the group for it to be revealed that they were going to turn on him, thinking he was going to reject the group. And then him and Sammy got kind of close again, while the other Jericho appreciators got mad at him. And then Sammy loses to him and immediately turns heel and his manager's just ready to come out. It's like they skip steps, necessary steps for things to make sense. Well, here was a step that they took. <laughs> Obviously, you agree. That, uh, that made, again, we just talked about it a second ago, MJF and Adam Cole pull up in a sports car and MJF cuts the promo on Samoa Joe in the match tonight. And of course, Cole said he's going to be right there for MJF in his corner. But Cole, Cole gets a call from Roddy, and he says, hey, you're not going to die, dude, and he rushes out. And again, I wrote, this is silly. Yeah, why is he when, putting up with it? Why is Adam Cole putting up with it? He looks like a moron for doing it. Yes, when opponents, or these are not technically opponents yet, but when opposite forces are cooperating in obviously unbelievable shit with each other, and react, it's, it, it, it kills the baby faces. It just does. So, I whatever the fuck. You know what the subject was coming out of the big grand slam? It wasn't the ratings. They, they did a little bit better in the ratings. It wasn't the quality of the show. Everybody was talking about the Moxley match, the Moxley incident. And trying to not only figure out exactly why it happened like it did but then after we've heard more 
stories, explanations, whatever from the company, trying to figure out how that the story they're telling fits what we all saw on live television. And again, a couple of days ago on the drive-thru, we said we, it had just happened the night before we were recording. We had seen the clip of the two pile driver like maneuvers that Phoenix gave to Moxley, but we hadn't seen the match yet. Well, now we've seen the match, and now that we've heard the story they're claiming, none of this makes any sense. And not only did, uh, by the way, you heard about the AEW Botches account on Twitter. I did. They got suspended because he put a clip up, and old Aubrey Don Stevens Ed uh, apparently did their work on that account, got it taken down. Stevie Richards apparently has been doing some breakdowns on, I guess, his YouTube channel or whatever on different things that go on in wrestling. And I don't know what's Patreon YouTube channel, pardon me, Stevie, but they got his YouTube or his uh, Twitter clip taken down, copyright strike, where he was looking at the pile drivers in slow motion because somebody sent me a copy of the video that they had taken down. And you can see clearly Moxley's head hitting the fucking canvas on both of them. And Stevie and Richards, go ahead. I was going to say, dancing Stevie Richards, I believe, had neck issues and probably concussion issues. Everyone yes. Ran, everyone ran a, uh, ECW had concussion issues. Well, yes, but Stevie has had serious neck surgery, and he's also a, a professional wrestler with 25 years experience. And he was breaking it down and going, what the fuck? And oh, my God. And so they, they silenced him. They got that clip taken down. But it's out there, folks. A lot of them are out there because people are doing their own. This thing is being looked at like the Zapruder film. But uh, but here now, the pile drivers looked bad enough and the fact that Moxley changed the finish and put the guy over for the belt that he just won, the mascot title, the international title or whatever. Yeah, yank, yank, yank. No, but seriously, let me stop you there. Think about that. That means a lot to Tony Khan. Tony yes. Khan is the biggest believer in Orange Cassidy in the, in the entire world. And he gave him that long title run. It was supposed to mean something that he lost it. And then he lost it to Moxley. Eesh. Didn't even get a rematch. Moxley's like, fuck it, you win. <laughs> and the other guy that, you know what? That's the thing. I'm thinking he gave the fucking thing away. Because I, as we go through this match, I want you to tell me different about what the fuck was going on here. Because now the story has come out, it wasn't the two pile drivers where he got dropped on his head twice in a row. That wasn't it, according to Moxley and from the company. He was fine backstage, just a slight concussion, just minor brain damage. But what really... Normal day. Normal day. It was dope. But what really did the damage to him, they said, was the dive that Felix hit him with right at the start of the match. That's what rung his bell, as they say. And that's what, and then later on, he got foggier and decided he couldn't go on. Well, that other one, remember they did the dive. The one that I thought, the first one looked bad when you watch it after you hear the story and you're looking for it. But the one that I thought looked bad instantly was the one where Moxie was draped over the guardrail and Phoenix, like, 
Whatever oh, was, no, no, no. Felix he, hurt himself worse on that one than Moxley. Well, it looked like he was trying to leg drop him, but Moxley wasn't in a position to, but it ended up almost being like a shoot drop kick to the back of Moxley's head as Felix no, mixed everything. No, no, watch watch better. Watch, watch again in slow motion. Moxley, when he was draped over the rail, was supposed to be, his head was supposed to be perpendicular to the the ground or sticking out in the same direction so you could leg drop a guy in the back of the head but he was leaned all the way over the thing Felix yeah. jumped off the top rope and just slid off Moxley's back and landed on his feet and ass on the floor right past him oh see when I watched it I thought his foot hit Moxley in the head as he was going down because <laughs> what was that like, other well than it doesn't matter anyway <laughs> it doesn't matter what you saw no because here's the let's go through this is one of the greatest stupid matches in the history of wrestling i'm so entertained by this match let's go through what happened so moxley comes through the crowd and basically does his normal entrance and then he goes to the stage and the match, or not the match, but the fight starts on the ramp with them standing there, letting each other hit each other with the forearms. And then within about the first 30 seconds, Moxley takes a little bump off to the floor and Felix runs down the entrance ramp, cannonballs over the cameraman, and hits Moxley with his ass right in the fucking head and drives him to the ground. And Moxley bounces hard off the fucking ground. So the the ass in the head was hard, and then the fucking landing on the ground was hard. And he looked rocked. If you go back and watch yes. it, Moxley looks rocked right away. He normally has a goofy expression on his face, but this was even worse. But you could tell also because he couldn't get up. Because Felix tried to pick him up and throw him back in the ring, and his legs, Moxley's legs wouldn't work. They went to rubber, and he dropped back down. And then Felix tried to put him against the the uh, railing in front of the front row, and his legs went to rubber again. And now Felix is chopping him. I guess he's trying to wake him up, like slapping him around. You okay? And finally, he rolled him in the ring, and then they they rang the bell to start the match. So Brian. He legitimately was Moxley, being he. Legitimately was injured or knocked goofy or concussed or whatever by what we can tell by that opening dive, right? Right into his head. And I said that the other day. I said I'd rather take 25 pile drivers from Jerry Lawler or 25 tombstones from The Undertaker then let one of these fucking idiots dive off something onto me. Well, that's the first way he got hurt. But now they've started doing the fucking match, right? They've rung the bell. And you can tell that Moxley is still groggy because Felix start doing his ridiculous tumbling, but it's like his dance partner was a zombie. To where the fucking announcers were even saying oh yeah moxley looks like he's been rocked or he's you know he's weak in condition whatever but then after a couple minutes moxley stopped felix and started doing shit to him yeah and now it was a regular match between mox not a regular wrestling match but a regular moxley felix match they fought in the middle of the crowd nobody was even scared enough to back up did you see that the fans the fans were all bigger than both of them they're out in the crowd, 
And everybody's like reaching in to pat him on the back instead of cowering like, don't hit me. So then Moxley pushes Felix off the railing into the front row on top of some kids and risks a lawsuit and then hooks Felix with the double arm draping him over the railing, gives double fingers to the camera, mouths the word fuck to the camera, to the floor camera like an eight-year-old kid and double-arm DDT'd Felix on the floor. And then half-ass rolled him in and covered him and got a two-count. And at this point, I'm like, what an unprofessional twat. But let's see. So the guy got a concussion. But right now, he is just double-arm suplexed the fucking guy on the floor while giving double fingers and mouthing fuck to the camera. So it's he's normal. I don't need to use my brain to do my stupid shit. And then Felix did a bunch of flips and got a two count. And then Moxley leveled him with a lariat and did another finger. He's got all the crudeness of Austin with none of the looks, talent, or personality. But then they go back to the floor. And then Felix again drops Moxley feet first over the guardrail into some kid's lap. And that's where Moxley was supposed to hang there until Felix went to the top rope and came off with the leg drop, but Moxley was just hanging over it. And there was nothing for Felix to drop, so he just went right down his back and landed on his ass in a fucking heap. Yeah, by the way, there were other options for him, too. He could have found something else to do in that Anything! Moment. Anything! If you're gonna... If you're going to do break the world high diving record by jumping off a, a hundred foot platform into a bucket of water and somebody moves the bucket, do you have to jump anyway? And then they went to the break because I wrote, good God, there's more of this. Because again, I thought, okay, the guy got hurt. He got rocked. Impromptu finish. It probably didn't last long. No, now they're having this fucking match. And I had to watch through the picture in picture because they, again, it looked like Moxley was rocked and they just kept doing heavier and heavier shit to each other. And yes, and in picture in picture, Moxley was killing him. He hit him with a pile driver. He's chopping him. And then again, they come back from the break and Felix hit a double stomp off the top rope for a two count. And then they went to the ramp and Moxley curb stomped Felix on the ramp and the fans started singing Seth's song when he did the curb stomp. And then Moxley hit a pile driver on him and got a two count. And then he beat him up some more. And then they went into the closing, as it turned out, it would be the closing sequence. Moxley goes up to superplex Felix off the top, right? and. Felix knocks Moxley off to the mat. The bump looked fine. He didn't hit his head. As soon as he landed, Moxley placed himself perfectly for the senton that was coming, had his arms into his sides, until he knew exactly what was going on. Felix hit the senton off the top, and it wasn't, it wasn't like a Jeff Hardy. I'm just going to land on your ass. He did it right. He didn't cover. He pulled Moxley right up, and that's where he did the first sit-out powerbomb. And that's what we talked about on the program not a couple bomb. of days ago. Well, uh, not powerbomb, a sit-out driver. I'm sorry. 
And that's what we talked about, you know, on the show a couple of days ago, is that he put him up over his shoulder, and not only is Moxley a taller guy, so his head's going to, than Felix, so his head's going to be lower, but also he didn't do what you do in any variation of that. He didn't keep his legs together to give Moxley the cushion of his shoulders on the guy's thighs. His legs were spread. And in the slow-mo, you see him, he drops him on his fucking head. But this is what Moxley said. Oh, the pile drivers were fine. It was the dive at the first of the match. Okay, for 10 minutes, they were doing their match. And Moxley was kicking the shit out of this guy. And suddenly, he picks him up. He gives him this pile driver. He covers him. The referee goes to count. Corpse referee, Rick Knox, useless. The referee counts one, two. Moxley doesn't move a muscle. A foot doesn't come up. Of of, of A hand, a shoulder, nothing. And the referee holds up at 2.9, and the crowd starts booing. And then Moxley says something. You see him say something even before the referee starts counting. But he counted and held up. And then he says something else while the crowd is booing. And then somehow out of that, Felix jerks him up and picks him up and gives him another one of what he's just given him. And it looked like his head hit again. One, two, three. Now, we know this was not the finish. Moxley was not supposed to lose the title nor lose the match. We know that Moxley made the decision to not win the match because he got hurt. But now they're trying to claim that it was because he got hurt at the start of the match when he had done all this shit and was in full possession of his, if not his faculties, there's a line there somewhere, but his physical presence in the match was fine. He was pile-driving this guy. He was doing all this other shit. And then suddenly, boom, he gets hit with that move, and he decides then, I'm not going to kick out. I've kicked out everything else. He's kicked out all my shit in the last 10 minutes, but I ain't going to kick out now. And then the referee still didn't count it. So we're expected to believe that Moxley said, give me another one of those? Or did he just say, fuck it, beat me, I'm hurt. And instead of just covering the guy or dropping an elbow, Felix is a moron and has to pick him up and drop him on his head again. And why did Moxley go? <laughs> I would have been going, fuck you. I'm staying down here. And what was the referee thinking? You, it was the referee's fault that the match didn't end, even though it was not the right finish, that it didn't end with the first pile driver because the referee didn't do his job when nobody kicked out. He still didn't count. He exposed the business in front of all those people. It wasn't even close. It wasn't a judgment call. Nobody was fucking moving. So he fucked up. Felix fucked up at least two times, maybe three depending on how many concussions he gave Moxley. And if Moxley was that hurt at the start, but determined to go through with the rest of the match because it was live television and the show must go on, 
then why did he do another 10 minutes and then just lay down and said, fuck it, beat me for this fucking thing. I'm done. What the fuck is going on here? And I just rewatched the uh, part I told you about where he was going for the leg drop with Moxley over the apron. It almost looked like he kicked him. I think maybe I was wrong where he kicked him, but his whole body lands against the back of Moxley's head, pushing it against the barricade. So Moxley's head is getting hit all over the well, place. Well, then maybe that's match. number four. They probably they probably looked at, at Moxley's head and said, fuck, we can't damage that. Rick Knox, if you watch any of his matches, specifically this one, and just try to think to yourself, I'm going to ignore the wrestling. I'm going to focus on him. What is he doing? Or try to do commentary. Like, what would the referee's commentary be? What is he doing out there? Why is he refereeing anyone's matches except for the pro wrestling gorilla kids? Remember the dork order guy? They jumped off the top rope and landed on his head and knocked him out. He was stiff in the ring and the six man yeah. was still going on and they just drug him to the side and kept going. Knox was the referee in that one too. And he couldn't even impart, hey, there's a guy here that's goddamn going into convulsions. Maybe we ought to do a little injury timeout. If you're Tony Khan, even though Moxley... Although Moxley, I guess they're saying that he wasn't really that badly hurt after the fact. How pissed are you that he decided to call an audible and give up the belt? This isn't Harley Race in Australia thinking the news wouldn't get out. Well, but here's the thing. And I don't know how Moxley, if this is a story he made up to explain that, you know, to take the heat off Felix's pile driver, because, well, anything can happen with one of these dives, but the pile driver is just reckless. But if, if I was Tony Khan and I saw that finish and I'm like, oh, they changed my deal, right? I would know something was, something was wrong with somebody if they came back and said, yeah, he dropped me on my fucking head and I just couldn't get up. Tony, I'm sorry. I would be mad at Felix and I'd be mad then at the referee for holding up the count and exposing the business in front of all those people. And then I would be mad at Felix again for dropping him on his head again, but I wouldn't be mad at Moxley because he got dropped on his head. However, if Moxley was to come back and say to me, yeah, on that dive at the start of the thing, he landed on my head, I hit the ground, I just didn't know what the fuck I was doing, and I finally just got to the point, I said, you stupid motherfucker, it took you 10 minutes to figure that out, you could have got back in the ring and small packaged him and kept the fucking belt and, you, and said you were hurt and there'd be no heat, but if you get hurt then, wrestle 10 more minutes so you can get all your shit in, and then decide you can't get up and drop my fucking belt to this guy and screw up my plans. Fuck you, you idiot. That, what the, I, I, there was plenty of chances for people to get out of that if the only injury was the flip dive. Or if they're lying and he dropped him on his head and rung his bell and he couldn't fucking get up then they ought to come out and say that because that makes a lot more sense than, oh, I got brain damage, but I decided to do all my shit for 10 more minutes where I could have got out of this thing at any point, but instead I decided to be a fucking hero and go until he dropped me on my head again. And that time I couldn't get up. A concussion is a concussion. It's not like, oh, I just had a tiny concussion. No, it's a concussion. 
so that that's that's what I'm saying is none of this makes any sense with the story that they're telling. I don't believe he should have continued any longer than he absolutely had to when he got his bell rung, which is why that the fault is on Moxley if he was injured so badly in one of the first moves of the match that he went another 10 minutes and then lost the belt because he couldn't continue or more likely because he dro- got dropped on his head a fucking again. And we're pretty sure that the words he said after the first pile driver weren't, let's do that again. I don't see how that would have been a thing he would have said. And I know he's a different kind of cat. But no, I don't. Meow. Do, do that again, I don't think would have come up. It, like, I can see beat me, pin me, I'm hurt. Stop this thing. I'm a different kind of cat. Woof, woof. <clears throat> Meow. <laughs> well, anyway, um, so that's why I say, and then the doctor came in to check on him, and then they wouldn't shoot him with the camera. They were shooting the, the happy victor, the new international champion. Uh, but it either it was the pile driver or Moxley just said, fuck it, I'm going to put him over and give it to him. Because that's the only explanation. I'm sorry, you can't go and have that match that they had for 10 more minutes and then if you get a safe move done to you and just decide at that point, you know, fuck, I can't get back up. I can't feel my legs. Pile drop me. (laughs) (laughs) Bring me back to my senses. Oh, all right. And moving on. Hey, one one last thing on this. Just again, it's another AEW event that in a lot of ways should be looked at as a success, especially if they had a big walk up. But the stories coming out of it aren't about the success of the show. It's about did Moxley get hurt? Yeah. And come to find out again, as we mentioned earlier, the luck of fools and plumbers. Moxley's okay and walking around, and Adam Cole went to the hospital to do a run-in. We'll get there in a second. He came from the hospital, and he had to go to the hospital. And he had to go right back. <laughs> they ought to have a shuttle service. And really, that's the thing. I told of, you. It's, well, no, instead of doing a sponsorship with the hospital or ambulance, just have a shuttle bus service, regular uh, trips leaving for the hospital on the hour. This segment is brought to you by Mount Sinai. So the women's title, now the cancer's been cut out. Now there'll be no more problems. Tony Storm wrestled Soraya, and Tony Storm's entrance is great, and I like her, and I don't give a shit about Soraya. And Tony missed an ass and a face spot, and Soraya tried to do some kind of draping DDT, and they fell in a crumpled heap. One, two, three. Soraya retains. Fans deflated. The fans thought they had Tony going over for the belt a little earlier. They were ready for the pop, and they didn't get it right after she kissed Soraya. You would think if you're going to do it, do it in front of a stadium, get a big pop, but they didn't do it. Mm. Instead, Tony Storm, who's been getting a renewed push and renewed interest from the fans, loses. But Soraya, you know, she's... uh... It's one year of Soraya. She debuted last year at Grand Slam. Yeah, she's a star, so you got to keep her happy, I guess. All right, the main event was for the AEW Championship, and we've been looking forward to this. MJF and Samoa Joe 
because Samoa Joe has been acting like the only legitimate serious heel in the company, and MJF is the he's the man, he's the star. And have you noticed, by the way, the TNT or TBS titles, none of them mean anything in this company, but the Ring of Honor World TV champion is in the main event challenging for the AEW title. And that AEW World Champion is also one half of the Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions. Which means nothing except as a, a byproduct of his little engagement with Adam Cole. Anyway, Joe did the entrance and then MJF remade the Mean Joe Green Coca-Cola ad. Well, I think it was more of a spoof of the Bret Hart one from the WWF in the 90s. Oh, I forgot they did that too. Well, it was a spoof of a spoof of a commercial. But MJF gave the kid his scarf and then whispered in his ear and walked off and the kid asked his dad, am I adopted? Anyway, but here's the thing. Okay, that's fine for MJF because, again, that kind of personality stuff, it fits him perfectly. They came back to the announcers for a react and Tony Schiavone's laughing. Oh, that was funny. That's exactly what the announcers don't say. Even if it's the baby face, you don't, you don't, ha ha ha, that was funny. Like we, we, we came up with that in a production meeting and we knew that it would tickle everybody. You're supposed to go, oh, that, that irascible MJF or that, uh, you know, you can't control him or whatever, but yeah, Shivani was yelling. Shivani was yelling that he was a prick on TV for years. Yes, and now said, "Oh, that was funny." You're not supposed to get that fucking far gone either way. Anyway, so MJF comes out with the entrance of has the logos and the style of every New York sports team on, and Joe's got heat, and MJF gets the hometown pop, and. Cole is not in the corner of MJF because Roddy had called earlier to say that he was dying. And then they started having their match. And again, a bigger, intimidating, physically impressive heel that looks like a badass and wants to hurt you. And MJF, he not only can sell, but also he got hope spots in with ducks and eye pokes and shit that MJF would do. And it's it gets a, a cheer when he breaks the rules against a, a heel like that. And they gave him some time. They were they rang the bell with about fucking eighteen minutes or so on the air. They did a little bit, went to a break, but then they come back and or came back and they were uninterrupted at that point. And they did a lot of back and forth, but Joe, again, is a serious heel. He ripped the baseball shirt off and snotted on it. And, you know, he'd done all this shit, and MJF would fight back underneath, but Joe would constantly level him, and then finally MJF starts hulking up and gets the fans up. And MJF's come back because he doesn't just need to do goddamn moves to fucking Samoa Joe. He did 10 heads in at the turnbuckles, nine punches, and a head bite. And got a big pop. And then when he milked the kangaroo kick, the fans lost their shit over it. And he hit it. And Joe went to the floor. MJF goes for the dive. Joe stops him with a kick and hits the Death Valley driver on the apron, which is not safe. And it wasn't, it, it didn't look too fucking safe to me. 
And then Joe pulled out a table and rock-bottomed him through the table and got a two-count. And at this point, I'm liking the match, but they're going too far. It's like Joe pulls the pads off the floor and goes for a power bomb. And MJF bites his leg to get out of it, but Joe hits him with a pile driver on the concrete. And Joe clears the doctors away from him and rolls him in. Two count. And then what else? It's a baseball bat to the head at this point. The only thing you've... So they're doing the big moves and they're selling them and they're allowing time, but it's just at some point, how many things can you kick out of? And then MJF flipped out and got a sit-out power bomb for a two-count. And they got a big pop out of that. They did the yay-boo in the middle. And then they went into it where Joe got the sleeper. MJF grabbed the referee and did the mule kick to Joe in the nuts. And then got his diamond ring. But as he's going for the punch, Joe pulls the referee in front of him. And the referee sees the ring and takes it away, and then Joe kicks MJF in the balls. But he'd just been kicked in the balls 12 seconds beforehand. It's a little quick. The balls don't mean what they used to. It's good stuff, but they're they're almost like they're wearing suits of armor. Do you see what I'm saying? I do, so, and I think that's one of the problems a lot of the times with matches I like, where all of a sudden... You know, there are some songs that for no reason have a rapper in the middle of it. <laughs> sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but everyone acts like it always does. No matter what the match is, it seems like too often than not, if it's a big match, there's going to be a while on the floor, and they're going to have a table involved. Well, and that's, uh, so anyway, Joe got the sleeper, and MJF is dwindling, but then here comes Adam Cole running back from the hospital. And he runs down the ramp and jumps off the ramp past the cameraman and came up limping. And I don't know if his foot or ankle or whatever, but he's trying to rally MJF and MJF bites his way out of the sleeper. The referee gets kind of knocked to the floor. MJF gets a piece of tape, wraps it around Joe's neck, and then puts the chin lock on him from around and choke Joe out. I understand what they're trying to do. MJF wins with a heel tactic because he's a heel at heart. But you're talking about we've been throwing people through tables and pile driving them on their heads and hitting them with all these goddamn moves and you just choke somebody out with athletic tape. Help me. So, I like the match, not everything in it the right result, but then they're celebrating and Adam's still limping. And that's where, as we referred to earlier, Joe shoves Adam Cole out of the way, looks at MJF and offers him his hand. And they shake. So I guess that's over forever. That's what I was going to say. I was thinking, okay, this is the beginning of a series of matches or a feud. And then there was that with nothing after it. Is that the end? Is there any way they can come back and do anything? Apparently not. I mean, he went in a week. He went from, I'm going to take everything from you. I'm going to choke out all your friends and kill your dog or whatever to, okay, well, you beat me and you cheated, but you got my respect for that. So now we're not mad no more. Your friend broke his foot, so I feel like we're square. Yeah. <laughs> 
he did do some damage to people close to MJF, indirectly at least. But that's why I just, I would have preferred to have seen Joe come to his senses on the floor after having been choked out, if he had to be choked out by a piece of athletic tape, and see Cole and MJF in there and been, make the mean face and swear this isn't over. And then it wouldn't be over. But now it's over. MJF's super over. I mean, clearly, not just that it's in New York. He's the most over wrestler in the company right now, wouldn't you say? I would have to, because, you know, Punk's gone, and nobody else is getting this kind of reaction, and in the important spots, and carrying the ball. And that was one of the reasons why I was hoping they would extend him and Joe, because... Other than tag team stuff, and that's now out the window of Cole's hurt, I was hoping that him and Joe would prolong the fact that there aren't too many other fresh opponents that seem interesting right now for MJF. And instead, and Swami's going. Well, and back to the drawing board. Maybe Swami is volunteering to be the opponent. Okay, uh, yeah, who's, who's next? Not just for Goldberg, but for MJF. Yeah, Swami, right, well, Swami's really going nuts right now. I'm trying to look at the uh, outdoor camera. Oh, it's FedEx. Thanks, FedEx. There's a free spot for you. Uh, Jim, I know we're not going to watch it, but real quick, can I give you the matches you missed for AEW Grand Slam Rampage? It was a special two-hour rampage. Oh, good Lord. Okay, sure, fine. Here are the results of the matches you missed. Sting and Darby Allen defeated Luchasaurus and Christian Cage. Chris Statlander, Orange Cassidy, and Hook versus, uh, does it have the result? Versus Anna Jay, Angelo Parker, and Matt Menard. Wow. And Menage Khan, as they call it in AEW. Uh, I don't see the result here. Uh, I guess the, the baby faces due to won. lack of interest. The baby faces won. There was a QTV segment, a Don Callis interview with Takeshita, which led to Sammy coming out and then Jericho coming out. And then Kenny Omega, who was in Queens apparently, came out. There's a line in there somewhere, but we're running low on time. And apparently they're setting up for Wrestle Dream a match where it'll be Omega, Jericho, and Kota Ibushi versus the Don Callis family. Oh, good Lord. In a match where the number one contenders for the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championship would be crowned, the Righteous, Vincent and Dutch, defeated the Hardy Boys, the Best Friends, and surprisingly, the Kingdom, Matt Taven and, Matt, and Mike Bennett. Matt, I was about to say Matt Taven and Max Sennett. Matt Taven and Mike <laughs> Bennett to become the number one contenders. So instead of the Kingdom versus MJF and Cole, it is the Righteous. Set up for MJF and Cole. Well, uh, Dutch Mantel and some guy named Vinny. Is that what I heard? That is uh, something that you heard there. And then the acclaimed Billy Gunn defeated the Dark Order. Julia Hart defeated Sky Blue. Mike Santana defeated Dirty Bulk Bronson. <laughs> formerly a bear. Formerly a bear, now just a bulk. Dirty Bulk. And finally, the Elite, the Young Bucks, and Hangman Adam Page defeated the Mogul Embassy of Brian Cage, Bishop Khan, and Toa Lee. 
Oh, yeah, Toa Leone. I was about to say it the way you say it. Tia Leone. Toa Leone with Prince Nana to win the Ring of Honor World Six-Man Tag Titles. (laughs) So congratulations to the Elite, the new Ring of Honor Six-Man Tag Team Champions. So they lost their other self-made belts so they could get some more self-made belts. Why would you create a trios division and then have them win the other trios title? (laughs) Oh, well, that was AEW Rampage that we didn't watch. But spitting up, let's go back to the dynamite for a second because they did a rating. We got to put them over. We got to give them some applause. They actually got over 900,000 for the first time in ages, ages, and eons with their big Arthur Ashe Stadium extravaganza. And this time, they had a main event that people actually would want to see and be interested in. So I'm wondering, did they keep their audience through the rest of this fiasco to get there? Or did it do the same thing as it does every week when they have the the gymnasts, the play wrestlers, the trampoline cowboys, and the kookamonga kids in the last spot? Well, this week's AEW Dynamite, September 20th on TBS, Grand Slam did 984,000 viewers on average. So they picked up pretty much exactly 100,000 people from where they've been Stuck at the last several weeks. How did the did they make the most of it? These were compiled by WrestleNomics, quarter one, eight to eight fifteen p.m. Claudio Castagnoli versus Eddie Kingston with picture in picture, nine hundred and eighty-two thousand viewers. Okay, in this case, then it sounds to me like they may be going to keep some audience. Segment two, eight fifteen to eight thirty p.m. The continuation of Kingston versus Castagnoli, the post-match, the Kingdom Roddy Strong Adam Cole hospital segment. Should that have been later in the show? Did they mess up the order of the things? Should should that have been after Cole left MJF? Well, whatever. An ad break in Christian Cage's backstage promo. One million four thousand viewers. Jeez, okay, they picked up 22,000 in the second quarter. That usually does not happen, and that's the first time they've seen seven figures in a while. Quarter three, 8.30 to 8.45 p.m. Chris Jericho versus Sammy Guevara with picture-in-picture, 989,000 viewers. And 11,000, 15,000, normal fluctuation at this point. It's pretty much the same audience. Segment four, quarter four, excuse me, 8.45 to 9 p.m., the continuation of Jericho versus Guevara with the post-match heel turn and Don Callis, the MJF backstage promo, an ad break, and the start of John Moxley versus Phoenix, 1,017,000 viewers. Okay, so now 11, 28,000. So they have been in a range of... 18, 35,000 for the entire first hour. That's very good for AEW and against normal trends. The big 9 o'clock hour, quarter 5, 9 to 9.15 p.m. Moxley versus Phoenix continued. Felix, uh, it is Phoenix, excuse me. You've got me confused. Moxley versus Phoenix continued. I know what his name is. With picture in picture. And Samoa Joe's backstage promo and an ad break, 960,000 viewers. 
Okay, that's where they they tuned in maybe the extra ones at the top of the hour, and they saw enough of the plumber, and they said, well, 57,000 of us will take off, but there's the option to come back for the main event that we might want to see. And this is usually where everything starts trending downwards. Quarter 6, 9.15 and 9.30 p.m., the kingdom, the righteous video, that's what it says, the kingdom. Oh, I guess the kingdom is, you know, when you call the other team the righteous and the other one's the kingdom, you can't tell what's going. It just says the kingdom, the righteous, the kingdom video. The good, the bad, and the ugly. The righteous video, Soraya versus Tony Storm with picture in picture and the post-match, 938,000 viewers. And they're not as bad as it could have been. Only another 22,000, and it's the girl spot. And it's the death spot in the normal program where they start leaving. Quarter 7, 9.30 to 9.45 p.m. It says video. I don't know what the video is. But video, ad break, and MJF versus Samoa Joe. 954,000 viewers. And there they get... Um... 16,000 back and hopefully can finish strong. The majority of, well, the entirety of the last quarter hour was all them. So what'd we finish up at? And we have a little bit of an overrun and this may be an example where we should look at the overrun here because I think wasn't, it was about five minutes, wasn't it? It's a four minute overrun. Plus uh, as this is going up, the key demo is going up. But anyway, quarter eight, 9:45 to 10 PM, the continuation of Samoa Joe versus MJF with picture-in-picture, 1,014,000 viewers, 489,000 in the key demo, the high point, not counting the four-minute overrun, which is 1,048,000 viewers. Son of a... So... And because of the trend upwards, that's not one of these examples of people just tuning in for the next show, I don't think. Yeah. It's not just Wednesday night... It's it's what they put on on Wednesday night. The uh, 200,000 viewers or more don't have to bail out on Wednesday night. You just got to put a match in the main event spot that they actually want to see instead of the self-indulgent EVPs and the, the flippers and floppers. And they've seen the uh, an entire program of that horse shit. This time there was a match that was a destination that they wanted to see. They knew it was going to be good. They didn't know what was going to happen. And they were interested. And not only did they hold the audience, but for the first time ever, or certainly in recent memory on a Wednesday night, they had more people at the end of the show than they did at the start. So... They ought to be kissing MJF and Samoa Joe's asses. They may have done a better job of promoting Grand Slam than they have anything else in a while. Especially, like I said, I can only base the local media stuff based on what I've seen. And MJF was all over the place. But that wouldn't mean an extra few thousand, well, hundred thousand people watching the TV show. Well, actually, think about this. The size of the New York market, if he instigated 5,000 people with the last-minute publicity to come and buy a ticket to go to the event in person, all those people that saw it, it wasn't either like, I'm going to go buy a ticket and go in person, or I don't give a shit about this and I never want to think about it again. They may have said, well, fuck, I'll just watch it on TV. You could, 40 or 50,000 viewers in the New York television market with those numbers is not a goddamn significant portion of the audience. 
So that could have been part of the, the issue. Should MJF insist on being the highest paid person in that company? Now the punk's gone, he should. Seriously. Is there anyone yes. else who should be in the conversation? I don't see who. You've got an unprofessional fucking idiot that gets dropped on his head and drops unscheduled belts and goes to rehab at various points in time and flips fingers on your show and says fuck, puts fuck on his shirt, looks like a piece of shit and can't work, is a joke. Or you got Jericho, who's nearing 60. <laughs> He's closer to 60 than he is to 40, isn't he? Well, yeah, I guess so. Okay. <laughs> Math don't lie, baby. Or you got MJF. And if I'm WWE, MJF's the one guy in that company I want more than anyone else. I want him more than a sick man wants penicillin because you, and he's young and you got all that time and he doesn't have to be a wrestler. And in the WWE, it's more, uh, more uh, important than anywhere else that you have all the outside the ring skills. He could be an announcer. He could be a manager. He could be a fucking personality. He could be a goddamn movie star. He could be the Monroe's calling me to get paid. All right. Well, with that, I guess uh, we can keep going or we could jump in the time machine. It's up to you. I think you better jump in the time machine, Stewie. We have landed in the future once again, Jim. I think I want to go back to the past. Well, that is certainly old-fashioned, I guess. Good heavens. Are we, are we uh, is this time machine that we're using, is it, is it on diesel? Is it electric powered now? Is it green? What's going on with the, uh, the fuel for the time machine? Just basic amplification. All right, well... You do have this thing tuned up every 20,000 years, don't you? I don't mind even answer you. I'm going to answer you in, in this. Ah, it doesn't work as well with the sound. That sounds like a problem with the brake pads to me. But nevertheless, we have stopped here in the future because we had to pick it up so that we could go home, as they say, deliver you the news from SmackDown. But I'll tell you, but Brian, did you get a good night's sleep last night? It was all right. Well, I got a great night's sleep last night. And not even because I watched some of the wrestling shows. Because, you know, the modern wrestling shows, they can put you to sleep or they can give you horrible nightmares. It's up in the air. But I know a way that everybody can sleep better. Have you noticed that I'm calmer lately? That I have less stress and anxiety? Have you noticed that I'm feeling chipper? That I report less physical pain? After physical activity or moving around, have you noticed that I am more focused, Brian? That I have better concentration on the various programs we're doing? It's all because of the benefits of CBD, courtesy of our friends at CB Distillery. It's, all, it's know, all because of that, really. Well, you know, because we have distilleries here in Kentucky, but they're bourbon and, 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 a, and, a, and a booze, and they put you to sleep. Sometimes before you even want to be, but it, it's not healthy for you. But the, the CBD from CB Distillery 
That's the healthy stuff. Because it's all natural. It's healing plant compounds and vital nutrients. And it'll knock you out like Tyson when he's pissed off. And you'll sleep like a baby. You'll sleep well, the sleep of the angels. What listen, are you talking about? I'm, I'm, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? You will certainly have a good night's sleep. You will not feel like you're knocked out by Tyson. Well, I'm saying it's, it's like you're, you're peacefully slumbering like that. You know, you used to see all those people, he'd tap them and down they'd go. Or like Moxley, if he's got, if he's got Felix in the ring with him and Felix takes him up over his shoulder and sits down and boom, lights out. He's having a good night's sleep, but let's, this is all natural. Let's look at it a and different he, way. It won't you be don't like, need anybody to cooperate to do it to you. No, it won't be like getting hit by Tyson. You'll feel the way Tyson Smith sounds. Well, that's even more calm. Lilting and... And somnambulistic. That's right. He'll, he'll put you to sleep. That Kenny Omega's in a perpetual state of CBD bliss, I think. Yes. So, <laughs> folks, 90% of the customers of CB Distillery report better sleep with CBD. And 81% say CBD helps with stress and anxiety. 80% are reporting less pain after physical activity. And 1.4% developed X-ray vision. And nope. you nope. can do all of these, almost all of these you can, things. You can do three of those things. Many of those things. Three of those majority. things. Three of those things. The vast majority of the things that I mentioned will be possible for you with the products from CB Distillery because they have a full range of carefully formulated CBD and other plant-based solutions. And you need to take better care of you. If you don't want to be the one that's getting planted, Take better care of yourself. And these products have no artificial colors or flavor. I don't know how they've made it. It's just, you can see right through it. It has no color at all. Flavors, preservatives, artificial stuff like that. No, 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 because Dr. Kevin Fry put his foot down and he won't stand for that. And he's a Mayo Clinic trained internist. And he's a specialist in preventing health or preventive health. Prevent. Preventative health. Right? Preventive health. Oh, preventive. Yes, that's, there's no tie in there. Take the tie tie out. But they got over 2 million satisfied customers, so how can you go wrong and be the odd duck? Folks, right now, let me get you on the right path. Down the <laughs> garden path with my 20% discount that I can get you because I'm hooked up over here. You visit CB Distillery. And use the password ta-ta. To know it's ta. You just oh, take ta. the ta out. Wow. But for the purpose of this exercise, it's J-C-E. CBDistillery.com. Enter the code J-C-E for a 20% discount on their various fine products to help put you in suspended animation and lower your level of wanting to choke a motherfucker. CBDistillery.com. Promo code J-C-E for 20% off. How can you beat that? It's like a sore dick or a busted drum. You can't beat it. All right. Well, uh, I don't know about that ending there, but of course, we remind you once again, CB Distillery, they support us, so you should support them. But uh, it's your show. Because after all, what would we be without our supporters? Keep all the various sags and things that we've got drooping up at a proper place. What's that well, code again, Jim? <laughs> that code, cbdistillery.com. Code JCE 20% off. There you go. There, well, there you go.
Where are you going over at the Arcadian Vanguard Network this week with all these fine podcasts? Another exciting week on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Get information about all the shows on Twitter at Super Podcast or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. A few notes, of course, the wrestling news each and every day. Get your free daily wrestling newscast every morning delivered right to you. Get it directly from the wrestlingnews.com or look for Arcadian Vanguard's The Wrestling News wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Want to make mention of this week's episode of Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian Solomon, his guest, the noted wrestling humorist Scott Cornish. A funny episode. Check it out today. SUAWpod.com or look for Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian Solomon wherever you find your favorite podcasts. This week's episode of Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam. A look back at the very first episode of Saturday Night's Main Event. A good week to look back on that with the new NBC WWE specials deal here today at McAdamPod.com or look for Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And of course, the 605 Super Podcast, The Mothership! Go through the archive today at 605pod.com. And of course, it's available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The 605 Super Podcast. The motherfucker. The mothership. Yeah. Well, ship that shit on out. Yeah, don't don't try to run from me through time. We got to talk about you know, SmackDown, don't we? I'm going to have one of our, I'm going to have a couple of our artists start working on different Jim Cornette comic strips that could be regular things. Like one in like the style of Nancy comics, just fun everyday small town adventures. And then obviously one of just these sci-fi adventures you have like that's Buck what Rogers. You got from, that's what you got from Nancy was the everyday small town adventures. Well, her and Sluggo having a good time in a little town and causing <laughs> trouble. <laughs> Well, wouldn't the, the the small town adventures would be more like the the Peanuts kids? You know, they're living in a small town. Well, the Peanuts kids were kind of sweet. Nancy was more like a punch to the face at times, and I think that's more fitting with the Jim Cornette that we all imagine as a little child walking around the small town. With you his think? Tennis so? <laughs> what? I don't know because I never had a, a lack of hair like Sluggo. <laughs> No, I think you're the Nancy. I'm not, I'm not saying... I'm the Nancy? I'm not saying you're going to be a woman or anything. I'm saying the main character, the troublemaking Dennis the Menace-like riffraff... Well, then, be, okay, then why can't I be Dennis the Menace? Well, I, I think artistically I'm going more for an Ernie Bushmiller-type look. I don't give a fuck what look you're going for. I want to be Dennis the Menace or I ain't going to participate. No, I don't want to steal someone else's gimmick. I think that's gimmick infringement. You're stealing Nancy. I'm I'm using Nancy as an homage to launch the new strip. How is King Features going to get behind this if you're not behind this? Well, in that case, I'll join the army and be Beetle Bailey. Mort Walker. Uh-huh, see? King Features. All right, well... It was another, uh, does King feature his own Fox? I guess they don't. Why don't we break into the, uh, the Harvey group and I could be sad sack or I could be Richie rich. No, that's Tony Khan. I can't be Casper the ghost. I'm still living baby. Yui. For, for a while at some point. Hey, I'm just naming characters. What do you mean? Hey, I want to be hot stuff. The little devil right now. Yeah. There are some amazing, like, Things happening in the minds of comic nerds listening to this show. Yeah. 
We've gone well past Marvel and DC here, folks, even past the universe of EC, but let's get back to the universe of WWE. This is your show. Oh, I see what you did there with the universe. Well, the biggest star, the biggest um, constellation even, currently in the active universe, uh, was there to open SmackDown on September 22nd. John Cena and the the Rock got the, and I don't even want to hear your your slander toward my friend Dwayne there, but The I Rock got a huge pop. And some of you are too they, sensitive about The Rock. They knew that he was not coming back to like, oh, he's going to do a program. He's going to do interviews and wrestle and have matches and whatever. But with Cena back, he's been back several times. But as he mentioned in this interview, he's been a host. He's been a referee. He's been a backstage reporter, whatever. But they've got, for at least some limited period of time, the biggest star in the business that can still get back in the ring and you know, do some things regularly on the program, interacting with their current talent and doing fucking angles. So a perfect time for the meteorites deal, eh? Anyway, and they, they showed the deal last week where Solo had super kicked Cena and AJ Styles had helped with the save and Solo pulled Jimmy out. And the deal is that obviously Jimmy is, and now he's just decided he's back in the bloodline and they haven't really said he is, but he's acting like he is and he's acting like he runs the place and Heyman's giving him the fucking side eye. And so we got all this shit going on. So that's interesting at least. And did you see the open and during Cena's entrance where the crowd goes batshit, they've got more signs back. I Have you seen that many signs at... Your average wrestling event, uh, you know, for a while since everybody went to, oh, I'll just hold my phone up. Well, I think a lot of the sign holding and people who bring signs depends on what audience you get. But where was the show, actually? Um, got to have Phoenix, were they not? Oh, Phoenix. Phoenix, Arizona. Lion asshole out of Phoenix. It, what? Remember the Enzo Amore rap song? Thankfully, no. No, I don't remember. As a matter of fact, if you held a gun to me right now, except for his goofy haircut, I couldn't pick him out of a lineup. I'm trying to forget his appearance as well as his sound. Well, the lyrics are classic, but anyway. Well, apparently. Nevertheless, they got a roll going here. with the, the audience is engaged, and they had another big crowd, and they've got signs, and a lot of them were for Cena. And... When he was doing his promo, they started whatting him because they'll what anybody, and he shut them down perfectly. And then they started doing it again when he was doing something else that it, it was kind of working for what he was doing. But then when he gave the punchline, they couldn't what it because they had to pop because he phrases things perfectly and he doesn't leave them the the openings and the lags to, you know, do shit like that unless it's working with him. And he basically worked the people into begging and cheering for him to agree to have a match that he suggested to begin with, which was brilliant. And as luck would have it, he's found a partner to go against the bloodline, and it's AJ Styles. So before we go to the rest of this piece, what did you think of Cena's verbal dissertation here? I mean, he's perfect as Cena. You know, until he takes that hat off, 
For the most part, he looks exactly the way he always has. Once he takes the hat off, you see that he's a little older. I mean, then it hits you and you look at his face and he's older, but he pulls it off still, which is amazing considering, you know, what a ridiculous wardrobe he's always worn. I like them beginning the show with hot stuff. And if Cena's out there, you're going to think something's going to happen. So I thought it was all right. Well, and here's the thing you would think, uh, certainly with as much money as he makes, there's a way that if he was, you know, out of the public eye for a couple of months, that, that that bald spot could be filled in. Don't you think? Well, you know what I think it is? I think he's kind of got like a Ted Danson thing going because Ted Danson always had like the same big bald spot, but you never knew it because he wore a wig just over that spot on Cheers. And I think as Cena does so much acting now, he grows out the rest of the hair around it longer than he would normally. So it makes the bald spot stick out, and then he could just cover it up because he has some hair that he's grown out. Thank you, uh, oh, fucking uh, Fidel Sassoon for that. It's Fidel Sassoon, that's dissertation. right. Yeah, and Cena. From Boston. Boy, if you, if you, Boston, if Ted Danson, cheers. See, there you go. Yeah, yeah. If you'd have had me try for one more hairstylist, I'd have been fucking standing here stammering. Anyway, Paul Mitchell. So uh, he's on my shampoo bottle. So AJ comes out and takes John's microphone like they're going to be contentious. And then he says, You want me and you versus the bloodline? And they pop again to people. And they start chanting, yes, yes, yes. And AJ said, he agrees to it. Well, as soon as that happens, here comes the Uso music. And here comes Jimmy and Solo. And they come to the apron. And they jump up on the apron. And there's some trash talking going on and some daring to come on in and fight. And then the heels jump down on the floor and then they leave. <laughs> so that was, it was a little flat. The way they got out of that, but still it's Cena, so everybody's everybody's interested. What do you think of AJ Styles being used in this role? And doesn't it seem like he has so much more life to him as soon as you get him away from the OC? Well, but here's the the problem as I ascertain it to be based on the news that we heard is AJ was meant to be a cog in the wheel here, but it was supposed to be LA Knight that was involved by the end of the show. Because uh, they showed that last week AJ came came out and helped Cena, so it's natural for him to be involved in this. And yes, you know, he's a bigger star when he's interacting with these people, but apparently it was supposed to be L.A. Knight by the end of the show coming out and helping or saving or assisting Cena or whatever in that last segment when they beat up AJ which we'll get to in a second. But as soon as they he got to the building for SmackDown, L.A. Knight, they tested him for COVID, and he's positive, and he turned around and left again. So that was the news, but apparently they're still holding the spot that he was going to have open as Cena's partner because that that if they didn't do that, that would fuck up their upcoming pay-per-view. So nevertheless, that's the opening segment of SmackDown there. And then... The place would have gone nuts for LA Knight coming out to help Cena. That's oh, my a, That's God. the exact guy they want to do something like that. Yes. Well, and they would have seen it. They're in Phoenix, Arizona. Ain't far from LA. Lion-ass out of Phoenix. 
That's what I've heard. That's how those people are out there. But in the back of the building, Cena and AJ were in the back immediately after this segment begging Adam Pierce for a tag match. And of course, he said, Well, I got to go find Heyman and blah, blah, blah. So why? Everyone else just gets to make matches. Well, because Heyman's there. He's an actual physical person that they can use to deal with rather than Pierce just either making a match or calling somebody on the phone. Why didn't Cena just use WWE superstar power while in the ring and when the other two guys came out and say, I officially make this a tag match like everyone else does? You know what? He probably did. Were they able to do that when he was here full time? Maybe he doesn't know that they've instituted that rule. I don't know. Now that he's just come back as a part-timer, he doesn't know that they can just come out and make out make up matches anytime they want, the talent. And they can make out, too. They, well, they, they can. They Sometimes they make out quite well. He was one of the first talents to make out with the other talent. <laughs> so anyway, then at this point, we got to see Rey Mysterio and Pablo Escobar against the Street Profits with Bobby Lashley. And I will save a play-by-play -play description of this, and basically the finish they're doing now. Because remember, we said, who are the heels and who are the baby faces, And who are we supposed to be cheering for? So, Ray backdropped... Um, no, Ray got backdropped to the floor on top of profit number one. And then Lashley's there at ringside, and he grabs Ray and chokeslams him on the apron of the ring and rolls him in, and Prophet number two hesitates, doesn't know whether to capitalize or not, and then goes for a powerbomb, and Mysterio turns it into a sunset flip, one, two, three, and Lashley is pissed that Prophet number two hesitated on getting the job done when he had it laid right out for him. So now... And with what we'll see later on, where he's telling him off in the back, if you can't pull it together, I want the suits and the watches back. It does that is Lashley a heel, but the profits are going to be baby faces that don't want to cheat. Or is he going to poison their minds and make them cheat because they don't want to give the suits and the watches back? Or are they going to turn baby face by rebelling against the guy they've been with for a few weeks? I don't know. And break up that long-lasting relationship. Get MVP involved in this. That's what I think. There you go. Um, but anyway. Uh, oh, God. But now here's a match Pierce could make right off the bat. Theory was in the back bitching at Adam Pierce. And because they had showed a, a package of The Rock's return where Theory came out on the short end of the stick and theory came out to ringside and tore up the desk and everything and was very animated. And now he's yelling at Pierce and in the, he suddenly has an interaction with Grayson Waller and there's Butch and Ridge standing there and Pierce makes that match. So again, we have suffered through Grayson Waller to see Austin theory, which I elected not to do. Um, am I going too fast for you? No, keep going. Okay, well, here's one that you and I can debate. Oh, tell me you fast-forwarded through the women's match. Oscar and Io. Now, are you going to cuss me if I fast-forwarded it, or are you going to cuss me nope. if I didn't watch it, or are you going to belabor me if I did watch it and want to talk about it? I think here's the problem. If you wanted to give this a chance, they made it hard to do that because of all the commercials and how they were played. I think there were two different commercial breaks in this match. Yes. 
That kills it. Well, besides that, it was it was they had already put the boots to it to begin with. Besides the fact it's Oscar and it's EO for the women's one of the women's titles, whichever one Rhea Ripley doesn't have. And besides the fact that I do not want to see two diminutive women that have to stand tiptoed on an apple crate to peek over the top rope. That's everyone. They're the same size as all the women out there. Dressed in kabuki dancer outfits. Oh, come on. Doing a combination of every pro wrestling move ever done before and high school cheerleading routines. Again, that's every contemporary wrestler, unfortunately. Oh, no, it's not Rhea Ripley. It's not Charlotte. No, I'm talking about the male wrestlers. I was talking about the ma- that's most oh. of the male wrestlers nowadays. They're doing cheerleader routines and every move they can. All right. Well, in this case, but here's the thing. They started with a package on these young ladies and their rivalry. And then they did Oscar's entrance. And then they had a break. And then they had EO's entrance. And they had in-ring intros. And they were ready for the bell when Charlotte's music played. And she entered so she could watch at ringside. And by the time they rang the bell for the match, it was 11 minutes elapsed from the start of the package. And they went two minutes to the break. And then they came back and put a nice little seven-minute segment in. And then they went to the break, and they came back. And finally, Bailey put Eo's leg on the rope so she couldn't get pinned, but Charlotte came over and nailed Bailey. And then Eo hit Oscar from behind with a double knee and moonsaulted her one, two, three. And by the time they got out of there, it was 31 minutes after the package and entrances started until the end of this conflict. It was way too long, and I'll tell you this, I like EO Sky a lot. And I've traditionally liked Asuka, though she's a little bit older now than she was a few years ago. And I'm not saying that as an insult, no. but just in terms of... Aren't we all? Well, you know what I mean. Just in Who terms else of, is not a couple of years older than they were a couple of years ago? I don't know, ago. but I felt like watching this match, it seemed like at times, and I'm not used to this with these women, I watched them a little more than you, it seemed like it was almost going in slow motion at a few points, or they just weren't connecting smoothly. So I didn't like it as much as I hoped I would. Well, they looked like they were going fast to me because I was fast-forwarding through it. But then we get back to the bloodline business because there's Adam Pierce with uh, Jimmy Uso and Solo and Paul, and they're going to sign a contract tonight for the uh, tag match. But Paul Lee is, he had said, I'm fine. We'll sign a contract if it's not a match tonight, but who made this decision? And then Jimmy jumps right up and takes over and he's happy and he's, Telling Pierce, yeah, we'll be out there and blah, blah, blah. And he's just running this show and he's putting his feet up on the desk. And Paul tells Jimmy that decisions like that need the okay from the tribal chief first. And Jimmy said, well, let me know what he says. And then he leaves and the solo's not worried. He said, I'll handle this. And Paul still wants to know who's given all these orders. And we haven't seen Roman, or we hadn't heard from Roman. So Jimmy's apparently, uh, while the cat's away, the mice will play. That's what's going on. What do you think's going to happen here? Is Jimmy going to be in, Paul going to be out, or is Roman going to be mad at Jimmy? Or what drama is going to take place next? 
I don't know. I mean, they got <laughs> they got to do something. I mean, nothing's really happening. Roman hasn't been around. You know, the only interesting scenario that still hasn't been done is Heyman being kicked out and putting together a group against them. But I think Roman needs Heyman. Actually, I think he's a too big a part of the package. I tell um, I love the way that Jimmy is just taking over the situation here. He's getting some oomph to him. And then speaking of oomph, Waller and Theory beat Ridge and Butch. Imagine that. And then we had the contract signing for the tag team match. And this is, again, where they they needed L.A. Knight, but they've left the door open for it. Obviously, that's going to be, you know, the the pay-per-view match. But Cena came out guns blazing, and before he even sat down, he signed the contract. I'm ready to go, right? And then they introduce AJ Styles, music plays, no AJ. And then uh, the camera goes to the back, the most dangerous place in wrestling, the backstage area, where you're lucky if you can escape with your... No wonder Tony Khan's feared for his life. Everybody ought to be fearing for their life back there. So Uso is beating the shit out of AJ. And Solo is standing up on... Some they've constructed a high platform precipice area, whatever. And they're in the equipment cases and all the equipment that you see at a TV taping backstage. And Inter- interesting choice for the cameraman where he decided to shoot from. Yes, yes. Because basically, when Uso finishes beating up AJ, he dumps him to the other side of an equipment case that you can't see. And the camera of the floor camera handheld guy he pans up and you see Solo and he does his ee! and then he does the splash off the top of whatever he's standing on and goes behind the equipment case where you can't see what he landed on when he landed on a you hear a big thump and then there's this has already been going on for a while, but now suddenly people have noticed all this screaming and chaos. And here they all come running and they start throwing stuff from behind that. Finally, the camera goes over behind the thing. And I don't know if they somehow they staged where they pulled a pad to the side or whatever, but could it have been more obvious that they didn't want you to see that landing than if they had just done something that you could see and it you didn't immediately register it as, well, that's fake as fuck. I mean, I didn't like it, and I didn't think it was effective because it looked so fake. That, you know, that's the thing when you... The way they shot it, I mean, even if you had seen him go through the crash pad, it would look bad. The way they shot it made you think, <laughs> oh, they don't want to show you where he's landing for a reason. Yes, it was obvious. It slapped you in the face. So anyway, help is coming, and they're trying to dig him out, and they go to panic to the break. And when they come back, AJ is being taken out on a stretcher, and the bloodline comes to the ring, and Solo clears out all the the contract signing furniture, the table and the chairs and everything. And Paul E starts doing the promo, and now they're doing the Dominic, and they're doing the Callus, they're doing... Paul, they're just booing nonstop. It's becoming a thing now. We used to have to fucking work for it. But anyway, he's got the contract signed by Cena, but Cena has no partner for Fastlane. 
And then Jimmy snatches Heyman's microphone away and cuts the big cocky heel promo. And you can tell he is irritating the shit out of Heyman, right? And then here comes Cena, at least with no music, running out like you no good son of a bitches. And he fights Solo on the floor and he gets on Jimmy in the ring, but then both of them get on him. And Solo spikes him. And then both of the heels start getting heat and taunting the crowd. Was your video blacking out? Was that a network thing or was that my shitty Spectrum cable? No, that happened here too. I'm glad you brought that up. All of a sudden in the middle of the very end of the angle, for a little bit, maybe 20 seconds or so, it went black. Was that a transmission problem, I wonder, from the site? Or was had to be right. Fox trying to censor something and doing the wrong thing or not? Or maybe doing the right thing. We didn't see it. I mean, we saw what happened last week with The Rock with the cursing, and they, you know, bleeped the crowd, and we've heard that before, but this was, I think this had to be some kind of problem, not Yeah, it, it, yeah to, to, to go to, they still had the live bug up on the screen, the word live, like this is live, but it was a black screen. And I was unless somebody's dick had flopped out or whatever. But anyway, they ended up with a little bit of time because Jimmy goes to the top after milking and then splashes Cena and then signs the contract and Solo signs it, puts it on Cena's chest. And then I think Cena probably called an audible, said, dude, give me another one. And he did another splash off the top and they still had a while. They, it was, this is John Cena. If, if you're going to not even ignore that he's the biggest wrestling star in the world active right now, he's goddamn movie star. Was nobody going to come out there? Has he no friends, no confidants, no security? No, you know. And this would have been L.A. Night. It would have been L.A. To a Night. monster babyface pop. Yeah. And this was the way to go without L.A. Night, except for it taking so long at the end with them just not being, the heels not being molested in any way to try to get somebody to stop abusing John Cena. But otherwise, if you couldn't have L.A. Knight do the save, this is a great way to get heat on the heels for when he can. Yeah, you know, John Cena is one of those traditional baby faces. like every baby face should run out of the locker room to try to save. Like even the low-card ones. Well, yeah, well, even if they hated his fucking guts, but there's Ari Emanuel in the back going, my God, he's a movie star, save him! Well, that was SmackDown. <laughs> hey uh jim before we get out of here do you want to hear the lineup for aew wrestle dream which i guess uh oh, do we have to watch this or is this uh one that we don't have to watch uh, i thought we were we were gonna do the pay-per-views but this is one they've added they were just they were kind enough to only do this four or five times a year now they've added one well i think they want to go monthly that's one of the rumors. oh jesus christ well here's the uh lineup Coming on October 1st, 2023 from Seattle, Washington. The Young Bucks versus the Guns versus the Lucha oh. Brothers. Oh my God. Versus Orange Cassidy and Hook in a four-way tag team match for a future AEW World Tag Team Championship match. Well, wait, they just won the six-man belt. So why would they get a shot at the regular tag titles? If they won to begin with, and also a four-way tag team match for a tag team title shot. That's a revolutionary concept in AEW. We've never seen that before. There's one we can skip. 
Do you think this match goes with the dream of Antonio Inoki? Because that's what this whole show is supposed to be about, a tribute to Antonio Inoki, or Mr. Inoki, as Tony Khan calls him. I think the only way that the young buckaroos could pay tribute to Antonio Inoki if is if they were the two in the shower washing his balls. Well, the next match, Jim, for the TBS Championship, the champion Chris Statlander versus Julia Hart. <sighs> wow. Stadlander's doing very well for herself these days. Uh, Julia Hart is amazing and has a lot of star power as a mystical Stevie Nicks-like figure in the corner, but can she work to that level? They just had her on, I think, Rampage from Grand Slam against Sky Blue, and I haven't had a chance to watch that. I wanted to, because I think Sky Blue's pretty good, too. And then she was on Collision I like, also. I like her cousin, Gil Green. Well, then she was also on Collision. Uh, collision. Collision? Her cousin, Collision. She was also on Collision. Uh, what's her fucking name? Julia Hart with uh, Brody King as her manager for the match. And she had another match on there where she won. So she's starting to, you know, they're starting to use her. I didn't ask if they were using her. I said, can she work to that level where she could have a good title match with Statlander? Well, we will find out. Does this match the dream of Antonio Inoki? <laughs> All right, I think that has answered that. Jim, in a match for both the Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Championship and the New Japan Strong Openweight Championship. Oh, God damn it. The champion or champions, well, no, he's one champion for both, I guess. Eddie Kingston versus Shibata, the man with the returned brain. Did he get the refund when he returned it? He didn't pay for them to take it. There's oh, no that's refund true. It was processed. returned to him rather than him returning it for a refund. All right. I mean, it's not really said in the Observer article if they took it out and said, oh my God, we're not supposed to take this. Put it back. Put it back. So we don't know exactly what was happening in the room. You would have thought that if they weren't supposed to take it out, that somebody would have caught that. Well, we know he has it back. Let's look on the bright side. He's right. got his brain back, and he's ready to win two championships from Eddie Kingston. I guess we can skip that one, too, can't we? I, I, I guarantee, okay, here, here is my prediction. They start out by standing there in the middle and, and letting each other hit them in turn. Then they go to the floor. Then they do some suplexes and submissions. Then they trade blows on purpose again. There's going to be some of them rapid-fire chops in the corner that look like shit. And then, whatever the finish is, the guy's going to hit the other guy with three of them before he pins him. So you're saying four stars? Yes. The next match, Jim? Two oh, by the way, did you, did you hear that apparently the match with Moxley and Felix where, where Moxley got dropped on his head or brain damage however many different times Got one quarter of a star more as a rating than Samoa Joe and CM Punk at Wembley Stadium Stop from Uncle it. Dave. No, it didn't really. I, that's what I'm reading that they said. I have not checked out this week's Observer yet. I'll... I think it was three and a half to three and a quarter, if I'm not mistaken, or something. Just narrowly edged it out. John Moxley's always taken care of over there by that newsletter on that website. But let's go the, to the next match, the Jim. The fucking guy with the concussed brain. Two out of three falls for the AEW TNT Championship. The new champion, Christian Cage, who won it last night on Collision, versus Darby Allen. 
Well, at least they're keeping that program alive. Christian's always entertaining. He's a veteran, so they're not going to do anything. Well, Darby will still do some stupid shit, but Christian will get him through most of it, and it'll make sense. That might be the best match on the fucking show, now that I'm thinking about it. In a six-man tag team match, Chris Jericho and the Golden Elite, Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi, versus the Don Fallis family, Kenosuke Takeshita, Sammy Guevara, and Will Ospreay. I stand by my statement that it sounds like Christian Cage and Darby Allen's going to be the best match on the show. And, and I'm starting to think, do we need to go back to our regular plan of not watching this? You know, it's going to be an interesting match because Takeshita's really good. Sammy can be really good. Osprey's really good. Jericho can only do so much right now, and he tries to do more. Omega seems to not be able to wrestle that often. And when he does, he, he may be the only saving grace on that tag team because Abushi's looked horrible so far in AEW. So that's a very interesting match. If you're telling works. me that Twinkle Toes is the saving grace on that team, I'm telling you, I'm skipping it. I think you need, you need to see what happens. It has to be something there worth your expert yep. analysis. <laughs> well, we'll talk about it. But the next match, Jim. Talk me into watching this show. For the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Championship. The champions, better than you, Bebe, consisting of Adam Cole and the AEW World Heavyweight Champion, MJF, versus The Righteous, Vincent and Dutch. Who? Again, who? The Righteous. We've, we've seen one video on these guys, right? Maybe two. Maybe two videos. And is Adam Cole going to be a one-legged man in an ass-kicking contest? I don't know. What can MJF and Adam Cole do against a Bray Wyatt Swamp Tribute Act? I don't know what this is. MJF is still the AEW World Champion. And he's on pay-per-view defending a secondary tag team title with a partner that's possibly injured and going to be limping through the match against two guys that we've seen on a goddamn video for a week. He's the world champion. He's the biggest star in the company. He's the most over guy in the company. He has the best matches of anyone in the company. And when he has a big high profile match, it usually is something that either boosts the rating, boosts the quarter, or boosts the buy rate. Yet he's in this, so we'll see. Okay. For the AEW World Tag Team Championship, the champions FTR, Cash Wheeler, and Dax Harwood versus Aussie Open. Kyle Fletcher and Mark Davis. If you'd have said juice and gin and juice, I, I would have leaned back to watching this. You are talking me out of it. And I'm serious on the air here. You're talking me out of watching this fucking show. What don't you like about FTR versus Aussie Open? In your head, you know, in advance of it. Besides the fact that we've seen it, who gives a shit? Who gives a shit? The one, like I said, the one guy looks like a fucking juvenile delinquent nephew of the other guy. They, they, it's odd to begin with. They're okay for being a middle card team that does jobs. I don't want to see the goddamn greatest tag team of our generation wrestling these two fucking clowns when Jen and Juice are still around or Taven and Bennett to get something new going. Instead of 
the circle jerk from the Cucamonga kids and their friends always getting matches. Last night on AEW Collision, FTR and Aussie Open had a confrontation, and Dax Harwood did the same interview everyone else does. I want you to bring your best. I want the baddest version of you. Why? Why? Don't you want to win? What's wrong with you? I would like you to come into this match injured <laughs> and less than 50% of your fucking full potential because I want to beat you easily without you hurting me. I will find your room and send a woman the night before and I'm going to make sure you're weak in the legs when I get you in the ring. Yes. I'll be playing loud music out in the parking lot at 3 o'clock in the morning. Well, Jim, two more matches here so far. Hangman Adam Page. Oh, joy. Versus Swerve Strickland in his hometown. Well, so, okay, there you go. So that way <laughs> the people will be booing one of their alleged top baby faces out of the building and cheering the heel. That's perfect booking. And finally, Jim, in a dream match, Brian Danielson versus Zack Sabre Jr. Oh, good Lord. And just to, to your point earlier, you said, who gives a shit? If you're actually looking at this card, Christian Cage and Darby Allen, there's something there. Jericho and Omega feuding with Don Callis and his family, there's something there. I guess you could argue maybe FTR and Aussie Open, and then, of course, Adam Page and Swerve. And those feuds don't even really matter. And beyond that, it's just a collection of matches. MJF is in a, a cold match, and Brian Danielson is in a cold match. And didn't they just have a really great match? And wouldn't you think somebody would like to see a rematch if it was built properly? Inst instead, they're putting MJF in a tag match with fucking middle card guys and Danielson against a guy that we've seen on his TV about three times in three years. Just because they'll, they'll do good moves. They'll do great moves. Did you see their moves? There's going to be lots of moves, lots of good chain wrestling, lots of back and forth. I'm sure how many of these matches, whether we review it or not, still to be decided. Nine <laughs> matches. How many of those matches will have the yay boo spot in the middle of the match? Or towards well, the end of the match? Well, now let's not, let's not call it that because now the problem is a lot of people aren't yay boo and they see it so much. They're just standing there. Here they go again. So we should call it. It's not even a one-two. Because the one-two used to be the industry term for when the babyface would make a comeback and stand in the middle of the ring with the heel and they would trade. Bam, 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 bam. One-two, one-two. And the babyface would come out on top. Now they just stand there endlessly and do it on purpose, allowing the other to hit them. So I think, is that the, uh, should we call it the mutual punishment spot? No, it's not punishment because the shit usually looks fake as fuck. It's the you know what it is? You know what it is? What? It's the rest hold. There you go. When they're tired in the middle of the match, all of a sudden they slow it down and stand there and I hit you, back up, take a breath, take a few steps. I'm going to do the same thing. And then we'll reverse this like 10 times in a row. But you can't call it a rest hold. It's the rest punches and the rest chops. Or maybe the lazy punches and the lazy chops. Nine matches on this show. How many will have that spot? Seven and a half. You're not wrong. I think it may be. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at the lineup here. Maybe Statlander and Julia Hart won't do it. 
And every, I think everyone else is going to do this. Maybe the righteous and better than you, Bebe, won't do it. Maybe, no, I bet Cage and, and Darby won't do it just because Christian's not stupid enough to let him stand there and let him chop him over and over for no reason. That's true. Well, that's Wrestle Dream. Not Wrestle well, Nightmare. Well, that's experience. Yeah, not Wrestle Nightmare, but Wrestle yeah. Dream. And uh, uh, once again, folks, cbdistillery.com, promo code JCE for 20% off if you don't want to watch something to give you nightmares, if you want to sleep the natural way. Sleep the sleep of the angels instead of the devils. Are we done here, young Brian? We are done for now. We'll be back on the drive-thru, a big packed episode, lots of fun stuff, maybe a cast media update. Stephen P. New, 888-692-8084, but that's it for today. Well, thank you for signing off on my program. I didn't sign off. I just there's, gave some information. There's hardly anything left for me to say. You have to sign off. Oh, I just thought of something. Thank you. Fuck you. Bye-bye, everybody.